1: I could stay here forever. Carvana,
0: where car buying meets comfort
1: meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. Welcome to Episode 287 with my guest, Andrea C. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, The show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor, but I am a hypochondriac, and that has to count for something. Um, But yeah, it's not the doctor's office. It's hopefully more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, fill out a survey. Maybe we'll read your survey on the air. Um, uh, You can browse uh, the forum you can read blogs and guest blogs also there's this thread in the forum where therapists answer questions um there's about a half dozen therapists that are participating in that some of them have been guests on the show so um that might be a good thing to go check out um you can support the show financially on the website you can buy coffee mug t-shirt all kinds of stuff um so far, so good with the uh, Adderall. It's been about a month now, and uh, I'm on the extended release, which is uh not as um, up and down as the instant release. And it's just been great. Conversing uh, has not been an effort. Um, I don't feel overly chatty, which is uh, you know was a concern of mine. Um, I don't think I ever really need to concern myself with that. Um, and I haven't been crawling back into bed at four o'clock in the afternoon because the world is too much, and I never thought in my lifetime I would experience relief from that and it's It's just been a game changer and i'm so I'm so grateful um, been playing my game a little too much, my civilization game still, but uh you know I was doing that before I started taking the the Adderall, so I know it's not related to that. I uh, did lose my temper uh, this last weekend playing hockey. And that happens, you know, maybe once every year and a half. Um, some We were playing a, a team of guys in their 20s, and they were just making us look bad. And this kid, after they scored their 13th goal, this kid skated by our bench and taunted us. He was probably like 20. And, uh, I waited till there was a minute left in the game and then I knocked him off his feet and nothing serious, just mostly, you know, shoved him with my forearm as he was trying to skate around me. And, uh, afterwards, you know, when I do something that I know isn't cool, I usually try to reflect afterwards on what it is that really bothered me, how I should have handled it. And I thought, you know what it is that really bothered me? And I should have said it to this kid is, dude, don't underestimate the gravity of humiliating a middle-aged guy who is clinging desperately to the last strands of his youth. Um, But he wouldn't understand if I had said that anyway. Here are some surveys. Uh, This is the Struggle in a Sentence survey. This is filled out by Texas Fucked Me Up. Um, And about her trichotillomania, she writes... Uh, is having a pressure under your skin that promises to be alleviated once you pull that hair like a splinter. It hurts more for a second, but then everything feels better. But once you get the hair, the pressure spreads until you have to pull out everything. And even then the pressure isn't gone. And now there is guilt. A snapshot from her life. I have so much stuff to do tomorrow, but instead I stay up till 5 a.m. picking my eyelashes, the anxiety getting so strong until I finally get that one lash, which then only satisfies me for a second before another eyelash aches and I have to attack it, staying up so late that I can't get out of bed the next morning and skip class and skip hanging out with friends without giving them a warning or explanation. Stay in bed for 20 hours until I can no longer hold my pee and I get up guilty and ashamed. I get in my car and drive to McDonald's, swimming in self-hatred. I could kill myself, but that would require me actually expending effort. I go back to bed. Sending you some love. Sending you some love, man. That, uh, while trichotillomania is not something that I struggle with, I do know that feeling of compulsive addiction and just wanting to retreat to bed. This is filled out by Stuck in Their Own Head, and she writes about her depression, Googling how many sleeping pills you need to take in order to be hospitalized, but not die, just so you can get out of going to work for the next couple of weeks. But a lot of people relate to that. About her anxiety, always feeling like you're running late to the plans that you don't have because you can't do anything except lay on the bed and stare up at the ceiling about her love addiction feeling like you're being dumped except you're already in a relationship and the person who quote dumped you is someone you only met a couple of times yet you're positive they're obsessively checking your instagram as much as you're checking theirs Um, and then a snapshot from her life even if i'm in a relationship at the time i have this thing where i obsess over people i meet sometimes they're people i work with sometimes they're salespeople or even baristas that make my coffee I think about how we might cross paths, come up with ways in which we might see each other and check their social media pages obsessively, then delete my browser history. I'm also convinced that the person is as actively obsessed with me. They must be, since I clearly feel this strong connection with them. The obsession eventually fades, only because it moves on to someone else I've stumbled across throughout my life. I didn't think anything of this until listening to your podcast and hearing the stories of others. And hearing that it's actually pretty common has made me feel a lot better about it and helped me not put so much power into those thoughts. Well, I'm so glad that helps. And then this one is from Lizard Lady, who has uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And she writes You wake up with the swine flu, your best friend just died, and you're standing on the edge of a cliff. Oh, wait. It's just your period. Now pretend everything is fine. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate.
1: So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job... Mental illness. ...is convincing myself...
0: I'm so alone.
1: ...why... Hypervigilant. ...I should try to do something.
0: I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair.
1: They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. put a
0: gun to my mother's head and... Uh, who is, I guess it would be somewhere between a friend and an acquaintance. Yeah, We know each other from uh, support groups Mm -hmm. and every time you share in one of our support groups, uh, I always pay attention because uh, you share from the heart, um, you've had a troubled life (laughs) and you're able to be honest while also being humorous about it and so i thought you would be a great guest and i appreciate you coming and um trusting me to 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 come do this
1: well thank you for asking me and i have i feel the same way whenever
0: you speak to. so it's mutual well then we're done yeah we're done bye Wrapped up (laughs) peace um Can I ask how old you are?
1: Sure. I'm 40. Okay. And
0: you're originally from
1: the East Coast? Yeah. I was born in um, Massachusetts, and then I moved to New York in 93. Lived there for 20 years, and then I moved here in June of 2014 rather suddenly, Like like with five days' notice, actually.
0: Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to take a wild guess that there was a guy involved in it. No, there wasn't. There was a job involved. Yeah, no, actually,
1: the guys had just ended. It was like, it was like basically like the end of 2013, my live-in boyfriend of five years and I broke up. Um, That was like in November. And then three months later, um, a dear friend of mine died in a very public way. And then like a few more friends died. I was teaching in Utah at the time. And then I went back to New York and these two women um who were supposed to be taking care of my dogs and they did do that but they and they also trashed my apartment like trashed it. It was kind of like Sarajevo when I went there and so <laughs> it was really bad. Um So I ended up like throwing out like 90% of my shit and I just was like I was like I didn't understand what was going on. It was like six months of just one crazy thing after another and I remember talking to my friend I was just like, I just need to be medevaced out of my life, like just right now. I need to be f- f- taken away in a helicopter, and then like, like literally three weeks later, I had a job interview for. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a TV writer. I had a job interview for a show, and they hired me in the interview on Skype. And they were like, see you in a week. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, all right. So I like literally threw a bunch of shit in a bag and then came to L.A. for my for this yeah. writing job.
0: That's funny. I didn't even know that you were a uh, television writer.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I was a playwright for a long time and an actor.
0: Which uh, is quite a feat given the abject <laughs> abandonment <laughs> yes. that you were raised in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Le- to somebody who, who um, give us a broad like the overview? Stroke, yeah. stroke of the issues and the traumas.
1: Sure. Um, so yeah. basically, like, my family is, um, there's a lot of addiction in it that I I believe this to be true. That there's a lot of... Um, there's I'm just going to lo- move your mic sure. closer just so, a tiny bit. Oh, okay. okay. There we go. Sorry. No the worries. Um, there's a lot of, like, food addiction. Um, I think sex and love addiction to. There's a lot of alcohol and drugs sort of like in the periphery. Um, There's been a lot of um, a lot of physical violence, a lot of emotional violence, obviously, there's sexual abuse, that's generational. Um, And so I grew up in that, you know, and, and that like happened, you know, so I remember it being like from the time that I was five until I was 10. Uh, My father was sexually abusing me and um and on top of that it was like you know like my so like my dad he's still alive he you know came from italy never really went beyond sixth grade um in in education and my mother is from
0: here and when an italian molest do they gesture with their hands more (laughs)
1: And they do a lot of yelling, and then they like feed you, they fuck you and then they feed you um <laughs> essentially that's what happened so so yeah, so like the so that was basically what I was growing up that's really funny <laughs> and um and and my mother you know she she uh, that also happened to her too, so it's sort of like an heirloom of sorts and um <laughs> so sick so i you know eventually my i told my mother in a weird way like i was at a camp and this like catholic all girls camp and,
0: and you're italian and
1: i am italian yeah uh through, italian through American. like yeah. yeah like i you know the 23 and me like the dna testing thing mm-hmm. i did that and they literally like you're 80% italian like you're mm. so italian anyway mm. um So she found out by this letter and then she called the camp and there was like a big thing because the camp had to tell the state. And then the state took me out of my house and put me in foster care. Like I was in two foster homes and then I was in two psych wards. Um, I was 10 or 11 by this time. And then I finally went back. They let me go back to my house like when I was 12. The timeline is a little fuzzy. And through all of this, I was like, by the time I was five I was 95 pounds and so I was just kind of up and down dieting up and down and that that was the scene of like many like fights and just a lot of humiliation and and so I dieted my way up basically till I was 18 I was and when I got to 18 I was 400 pounds and drinking a lot and doing a lot of drugs and smoking and had a bad attitude generally and I just had this like major ambition from like the time I was I mean I've, I've always wanted to be an artist like since I was two or three, and was on, like, a mission for, like, ubiquitous love. But, like, by the time, when I was 10 years old, I knew I was going to New York, I was going to NYU, I was going to be an actor, I was going to be in theater, and I was going to meet, like, amazing people and have this, like, huge life. Like, that was... I decided that was what was going to happen, um, even though I was in, like, the pit at the moment. And
0: in horrible relationships. Horrible. Horrible, horrible relationships.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird because, like people when they talk about sexual abuse or like they they sort of like conflate like like the umbrella term is rape it's all rape and it's all like violent and horrible and like and it is it is but it's like there's this weird mind like this mind twist with sexual abuse that's like like it was bizarre because with my dad that was like the one the only time that he was ever like gentle and nice to me and paid attention to me was in those moments so it's this weird cross-signal message like you know like you're not gonna get love unless you do this thing that feels really wrong but but you also want it because you want
0: Mm -hmm. the and i would imagine there was probably uh, also a little bit of physical pleasure involved of course yeah Yeah. and
1: that's confusing too and you don't know what's happening and so you're just kind of turned around by it you know um,
0: and you're not the first person I've talked to who said uh, that. Yeah, that and, it was and that
1: felt when I first realized that it felt really shameful. I was like, I must there must be something particularly wrong with me. You know what I mean? Because you always get them. You get certain messages from watching TV and hearing other people speak, and it, you know th- those things tend to be portrayed as very violent, and they can be, but not always. Mm-hmm. And that's when like. I don't know that whole dynamic just like informed how I carried myself in relationships. And I mean, I was really this in the last year, I was like, wow, you know, my relationship with food, money and sex is so distorted. Um, and needs so much help. And I've been working on it for a very, very, very long time, but now it's like gone to a whole other level.
0: Um, Why do you, uh, what do you think has informed the, the issues with money?
1: Well, um, to go back. So with, with money, like, um, so, like, my mom was an undiagnosed bipolar until um, she was 40 years old, my age now. And when we were, like, when I was a kid, she, you know, when she had her highs, she'd go out and spend six or $7,000 on whatever, on credit cards, and then come home and have, like, a, a panic attack and, like, freak out at what she had just done um, and felt powerless over that, you know? My father, on the other hand came he was he grew up very poor um in like the italian countryside basically and he grew up you know during um the depression and then world war 2 and like he had nothing so his relationship with money is very like stingy and like like you can't spend money on anything and and he also had this rage problem they both did so the combination of those two extremes in one house was like volcanic and give me
0: give me some snapshots of that
1: uh like like a memory or something yeah um hmm i'm trying to think of like an an actual memory of well there's a, i'll or, have to think or about things it.
0: that would be said frequently
1: um, basically like my mother would li- i i remember my mother lying to my father oh this is a good one okay <laughs> no no i know so my dad has um so my my dad used to was a janitor for a long time, and he retired. And then he developed this, I think you could call it an, a, a full-blown obsession with collecting cans and returning them for the deposit. So this is something that he does obsessively like 12 to 13 hours a day. To this day, he still does it. And he managed to make like, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars doing this. And initially, he hid the money from my mother. In a bank account and put my aunt Sarah's name on it, and my mother freaked the fuck out when she found out, and she was like, you know, she, she I remember she was saying she was like, I'm the wife, I'm the wife, and you know, and, and it was really like, it was demented, but I could understand why he did it because my mom would my mom really infantilized him in a lot of ways. She paid all the bills. She bought all of his clothes. She took him to the doctor. She did everything for him. And he didn't really need to do anything other than just work and bring home money. And and so there was all those like weird power struggles. And then she would lie to him about money she was spending. And it would just sort of erupt into like very dramatic sort of like Italian screaming and that, that sort of thing. And and it's still they still do that but now i can be detached from it when you're a kid it's like horrifying
0: what kind of words would they use uh,
1: uh, you mean like su- swear words or yeah or what would they
0: call each other what um, would the, be the things they would accuse each other of i'm i'm always fascinated in the way that people fight
1: yeah and my dad my dad would my dad would accuse my mother of basically ruining his life and how he should never have come to this country. And then she would threaten to send him back to Italy and call him a fucking asshole. And then like, you know, it would just like sort of erupt in that way. Um, and, And, and my dad would like, there were things that he would always say, like porco miseria was one phrase that he would, which is pig misery. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that word means. And then another thing he would say a lot is, um, which means, can you be as mad as, as mad as a dog in his dialect or whatever? So like weird, so there's like this weird humor about it all. And this sort of like drama that you can kind of dismiss. But underneath it, there was like, there was real violence. And it was really scary, you know? And the thing that's nuts is when you go, like, I love my family. I love his family. In Italy, they are just like, it's confusing because they are very warm, loving, accepting people. And I get, I feel that just like, just sort of in my gut. And I and I don't know if that's a product of me romanticizing them because I don't know them that well. But it's like, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation,
0: you know? With him or his whole family?
1: well with like my like the family here I don't get along with their I sort of feel like it's a snake pit and like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of backbiting and gossip and decades-long resentments and just never felt safe like there's talking about his
0: side of the family
1: both sides my mother and my my father's side of the family here they're both very like cold and just I I don't feel comfortable around them but my family in Italy I feel more comfortable but there's a huge language barrier and there's not like decades of interacting with them so sometimes I feel like I'm are I'm, you
0: just projecting a fantasy yeah, on a them. fantasy
1: Like because I've always wanted a family and I've felt like I've never really had one or the one that I have is not the one that I want Um and and that's also informed like how I approach my you know romantic relationships it's approached my how I how I conduct myself with my friends. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you, yeah. you said that uh, the sexual abuse is generational. Was your father a uh, victim?
1: No, That's the thing. My dad is very, he's, my dad is a mystery to me, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't really know a lot about him. I know that he worked a lot. I know he served in the Italian army for two years. I know that he, um, you know, I went back there for a visit. Uh, in the early 2000s. And my family told me a detail that was very strange to me, which is like, you know, because I have a huge family. And so every day, three times a day, there's 15 people eating meals together, like two to three times a day. And they said that when my dad was a young man, he would always take his food and go into the TV room and watch American movies by himself and eat. And um, which I thought was just so strange, because nobody else does that there. And he was the only one from his entire family that moved here. Uh, And so then, and the story goes, like, he came here in 74 with his mother, my grandmother, and they came for a vacation for one month. And they stayed with his cousin, my Aunt Fran. And at the end of the trip, he told his mother that he wasn't coming back. With her, and so she, it
0: sounds like there was somebody he was avoiding,
1: yeah, was, he he was just like i 'm staying here, and she freaked out, and she was like, "We have so much work you know because they have a farm with like mm-hmm. acres of olive trees and stuff, and he was like i 'm staying and um so when i when I heard that other story about him eating in the TV room. room He's not a man of bold action except one or two times and this was like one time. So I went when I came back to see him I was like, you know, I feel like you kind of knew that you were never going back before you even got there. Like I feel like he planned it and he was like, "Oh, you are very smart or whatever." Like mm-hmm. he like basically confirmed that. And then um and then he met my mother 6 weeks later and then they got married. Or they met it was before they got they met and then in 6 weeks they were yeah. they were married, which was Crazy.
0: Um. <laughs> so, give me some uh, moments yeah. from your childhood. Any stories that kind of strike you that are emblematic of uh, um. your, your childhood or who you were? They can be good, bad, oddly memorable for no particular reason. Because yeah. for me, the, the weirdest things will stick in my brain. Totally. Things that had really no. Heavy emotional thing to him, but I remember remember them so clearly. Totally, totally. There's, I mean, there's
1: many. I remember the moment where I first, I was twelve, and it was the it was the moment when I knew I could no longer walk around without a shirt on. Um, and I was at daycare, and I was it was like summer, and I was by the huge pool, and I didn't have a shirt on, and one of the daycare people were like you can't walk around without a shirt on anymore. Um, and I didn't understand what that meant until l- much later. Um, I, there's all these like vignettes. Like there's like one moment I remember when I was a kid, I was in my front yard and you know, those dandelions when they turn into like the wispy white things. Mm-hmm. I just remember like being in the grass on my stomach and like below, like just looking like into it, you know what I mean? And it was like, it was an intense like moment with this, Dan- like dead dandelion, basically, and I like blew it, and you know the spokes went everywhere. And I remember my dad. My dad had a garden, um, and he had like he had like over two hundred tomato plants and like zucchini and all this stuff. He had a beautiful garden, and he uh, he would water it, his, he would water the tomato plants. He would tie a dirty old sock around the end of the hose, and then water the plants that way. And I asked him why he did it that way. And he said it makes the water soft against the plants. Like, he was very gentle with his garden, right. you know. Um I have a lot of things like that. My, I remember my Uncle Joe and my dad used to slaughter a pig, like, once a month when I was a kid. Like, this is back... Like, it wasn't the country. We were like, you know what I mean? It was like a suburb, and the guineas are fucking slaughtering pigs on Sunday. <laughs> it was like very strange. We were freaks, I felt like. Um, but yeah, they, they. I remember the screaming of that, um, like once in a while. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember a pretty humiliating experience. I don't know why. I don't know what I did that enraged my dad so much, but I remember like, I was playing with my best friend Amy. I was the only girl in a neighborhood full of boys, and that was deeply problematic um but she lived around the corner, and she was my best friend for until we got to high school and um i yell I was yelling about something, and my dad and there were like neighborhood kids like in the driveway. And my dad came running around the house the outside of the house with like a he came into the garage and he had like a bowling pin like a plastic bowling pin and he started like wailing on me with it and like, like hitting me in front of these people. And the, the the kids like ran away, like they just ran away. And I remember just being like, like the, like the deepest humiliation that I can think of, like just being like publicly flogged by your father wow. for like a minor infraction that I don't even know what it was, you know? Um,
0: yeah. Why was it um troubling or or what was you the word you used about you and your friend being the only girls? Why was it problematic? Problematic, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. Um well, the kids there was a few things going on like this was the 80s and so I just I remember feeling like you had to be a certain way or you'd get like just squashed, you know what I mean? And I was like I was a I was a doofy, really fat little girl who had like a bad I like I had a bad attitude from a very young age like I would run around in my huffy like telling people to go fuck themselves and (laughs) and
0: I get the feeling that you were uh smarter probably than a lot of the other kids don't want to say it but
1: maybe I don't know maybe I, I know I was angry and I know that I had like I was pretty tenacious and very stubborn and definitely wanted to be the center of attention and um You know, I had a lot of confidence in a strange way, you know.
0: Um, What was your, uh, you know, a lot of kids have a thing about themselves that they like or that they kind of pour their, whatever confidence they have, they mm. pour it into that or they have a refuge, you know, be it books. Yeah, yeah. Was it books in your intellect?
1: I, it actually, well, it was later in high school, um, but really like when I was a kid, I loved I loved to sing and dance and write like I was writing from a very early age. Like I think like my grandfather taught me how to write my name. And after that, I just kind of started writing stories, um, usually like stupid romance stories, <laughs> like retarded romance stories. But
0: into fantasy by the oh time gosh, you were.
1: Like, yeah four totally i was totally uh, yeah no i had like visions of grandeur like i really i told my grandmother i wanted to be the moon when i was three like i really needed the love
0: (laughs) i told my grandmother when i was like 10 that i was going to be so rich that my chauffeur would have a chauffeur (laughs) (laughs) boy did i miss that mark (laughs) that's
1: awesome so um so yeah i i was really like I was really into music and singing and dancing. And I remember, I actually wrote about this recently where, so I used to take tap, ballet and jazz when I was a kid. And so I went and I would do ballet with my age group and then our class would be over and I had to wait for my mother to come pick us up. So rather than wait with everybody, I went upstairs in the Knights of Columbus and there was a room where... um, (laughs) where there was a little record player on the floor and a couple of records. And one of them was Michael Jackson's Thriller. And the other one was Rock Steady by Aretha Franklin. And I remember putting Aretha Franklin on and like, performing for like tens of thousands of people in that little room and like singing at the top of my lungs and like dancing all around the whole room like it was like the fucking sound of music except (laughs) with aretha franklin and i was so loud and like like really just stomping the ground like i the there was a teacher who came up and like stopped it she was like you had to turn the music off and she like brought me downstairs like a criminal and um (laughs) So that that like
0: like, a smooth criminal, like
1: a smooth criminal with very good taste in music. I've always I've had
0: two good albums,
1: deep love for Aretha Franklin since I was like a little kid. And uh, so, yeah, that like that moment, I think kind of like encapsulates who I actually am. But for whatever reason, just don't I, I don't really let that go like let that out too much.
0: I don't think. <laughs> it's, it, you know it's it's interesting how kids that are emotionally abandoned how their um desire to be seen um huge like it be- presents itself in other ways Oh
1: totally and i think it it becomes like i mean it becomes like a lifelong obsession you know um and the thing that's like it's hard like re- recently i've been very angry um, again about my parents and it's kind of like that weird it's a weird process of like recovering from all of that you know it goes in phases and it's like I'm in phase four I think or something you know it's like you go through a period of time where you're like you hate your parents you ne- you don't know why like you want you hate God um you know or if you even believe in God or you, you just feel like the universe has put you here in like it's a punitive universe um and then you have years of being kind of at least I do, of being sort of at peace and even empathetic and compassionate towards my parents because they are also, you know, they've been damaged in some way. And my like with my dad, I have no idea. And he would never admit to anything, you know. Lately, I've been angry again, um, because I've been in a place with money that is like, schizophrenic like I have moments where I'm making like when you know I was writing for TV I was making a lot of money and I was paying and I've been broke for 20 years as a playwright so I'm like paying all this money like trying to get you know trying to become a self-sufficient like stable sober adult and it's really hard to get there and so I go from having these like amazing jobs to having no jobs and then trying to find jobs and I'm getting close but it's not here yet and it's just this like fucking like terror you know and um, and then I look at my behavior with money, and it goes back to how I basically was not taught how to deal with money in a responsible way, I was not taught how to eat in a responsible way, I was not taught to date or how to look at men in a responsible way, I was not taught how to like take care of myself physically, like grooming. I had to learn this shit like from other people who were not my parents. And I get deeply resentful about that when I think about it, you know, like, so it's like the next level of work that I have to do, I guess a part of me gets pissed off that I have to do the work and then I blame my parents. And then eventually I get over that and it's like, blaming them is, you know, it's not, it's all that's really going to do is bring the past into the present again. And the whole point is to reverse that, you know? So yeah, I do... I do get mad at them and I get mad, especially like my friends all have kids and they're all the kids range in range in age from like, uh, like four to a year and a half. Um, and I am the aunt, they call me aunt in like several different languages. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, I'm part of their families. And when I see them, when I see how they interact with me with like absolute utter trust, and they're climbing all over me, and they love me, and they want me to do this, and they want me to do that. And I see them, and I'm like, when I was your age, this is what was happening to me. And when I think about that, I become like, you don't
0: you don't say that to them. You're no, thinking of course it. I, I'm yeah. thinking
1: in my mind, like, and my and my friends know my deal, so they they you know. When I see them and I think that, I'm like, I, I, it's unimaginable. You know what I mean? That that
0: I feel the same way. Yeah, when I, when I see kids just being completely joyless and are joyful and unself conscious and climbing all over their parents and mm-hmm. their parent snuggling with them and them the the parent just being f- utter safety yeah utter safety yeah being the, the, the parent um, being present with the kid without uh, devouring them yeah it's um, I get jealous yeah I get really jealous no it's true yeah
1: um but then i like you know i've learned in certain support groups or you know in therapy and stuff like um like this idea of like not mourning the like stop stopping to mourn the parents you never had mm-hmm. or stopping to mourn the life you never had you know
0: like and do you think that uh- the natural evolution of, of that is that eventually that that heals something in you and you will move on to the point where you're not mourning it as deeply, where you're just aware yeah, of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind Almost of Almost like, like a
0: scar you run your finger over as opposed to it used to be a wound that, that was open and hurt.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because I feel like, to me, if I'm constantly in a state of like grief and mourning and resentment and anger my energy is going to that and it's going towards fostering that or avoiding it or getting deeper into it, like binging on it or something, you know? And when I do that, because I am who I am, food, drugs, alcohol, well, I don't really give a shit about alcohol, but like food, drugs, cigarettes, and like bad relationships are around the corner. Do you know what I mean? Like I, if I live in that place, it really just only does damage to me in a very like actual literal physical way um and so the opposite is not to be like oh i forgive my parents and i love them and we're gonna have a relationship like no The, the thing is like i i actually do care about my parents i do love them i don't want anything bad to happen to them i also know who they are i am not having an emotionally deep relationship with them it's news and weather it's light and polite and that's where it stays and that is i'm okay with that you know um, that
0: sounds like a r- super healthy, really informed self care, loving with compassion and detachment.
1: I mean that. Yeah, it nuanced, feels that way.
0: incredibly nuanced. Yeah,
1: it feels that way, and it and and it's. I mean, that's like a lot of work. I mean, I've been in therapy since I was ten. Not. Not like every week for the last 30 years, but like a lot, you know, and doing these various support groups and a group therapy thing that I'm doing now. And I read books all the time and I try to meditate and I go to Bikram Yoga and I work it out there.
0: And What What are some favorite books that have helped you turn corners?
1: Well, I'm reading actually a book right now by Alice Miller called Free From Lies. I haven't decided whether I like this book or not, but they're is one thing that she said in the book that I was like, this was worth the price of admission, which was, she said, stop trying to understand people who have no desire to understand themselves, which blew me away.
0: Wow, that is a good one.
1: Yeah, and I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I was like, okay, I don't need to, you know what I mean? Like, even if the rest of the book is kind of like, I don't know. Um, So that's one book. And then I have like, I have a whole list of things that I'm, Reading about, um, oh, uh, Love Addiction, Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody sort of helped me get my mind around certain things. Especially that idea of, like, you know, when you, you know, like for me, um, the pain of what I was going through with my parents and not, and, and I mean, one of the, one of the effects of this for me was like this feeling that, like, my life, was never going to go anywhere it didn't matter what i didn't matter what i accomplished and i have accomplished a lot in my life none of it matters i'm going to end up in a ditch somewhere unloved alone fat and ugly and all the rest of it like doom and gloom and i and it was not just like a fear it was actually like no this is actually what's going to happen to you like it was a non-negotiable so then what would happen is i would uh you know meet somebody and want them to fix the thing that happened that my parents did, you know? And like...
0: How so? Well,
1: all right. I can give a good example. Like, so for... Like, my mother... My mother basically told me for my whole life until I was 18 that, you know, I was a a fat, ugly pig and no one's ever going to love me and no one's going to ever want to marry me and all of the rest of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that... And that's her stuff. I mean, she has her own weight stuff, and and I know that that damages hers. But she definitely
0: projected I mean, she, her yeah, own self hatred. Sure. Yeah, you.
1: for sure. And I believed it. And this yeah. is something like I've believed, I've been afraid of, and I'm still afraid of it. Right. So remember earlier I was talking about how I broke up with my boyfriend. That relationship ended. Like the last two years of that relationship were like he wouldn't touch me. And he like, if I wanted affection, he would be like, put out, it was like an imposition of some kind. And when we broke up, I was in a relapse, I had put on weight. And he was like, he was like, he was like, I, I'm not, I'm just not attracted to you. You've gained weight, you're this, you're that. And meanwhile, he was not a thin person, but whatever. So he'd said that. And then my mother sort of at that time when we broke up, she was like you know i'm afraid he's using you and she used to also tell me that people would use me because i'm fat even like my friends would use me because i'm fat and i so desperately want to be liked that they don't really like me they're just using me for what i don't know but anyway so this i was like feeling all of this and then and it got really i got really like when i was like you know 39 to 40 like the first two years before turning 40 were like crazy for me my whole life totally changed and um, for worse or for better no for better okay it really actually for better it just it, it involved a lot of loss it's like you know when like a rocket takes off into space and there's like some shit that falls off of it before it can go into the atmosphere like it was that you know where like all of my the people i hero worshipped for over deck for decades they were dead he was dead, you know, like, I lost somebody and, and he he was, uh, you know, he, I, I worked for him, I was his friend, he was my friend, he helped me in so many ways, like just like how to like get healthier, actually. And he was like a rock. I mean, he was amazing, you know. And, um. and so when he died, I mean, it was devastating, like, truly. And the next day, actually, um, this guy that I, a man, he was my first boss out of college. And he, um, when I first met him, I was 21. And he was like the first adult man to ever like treated me with like respect. He'd take me out to lunch. He would like, basically tell me that i could do things like go to law school if i wanted to like he he was he treated me in a way that like i'd never been treated before by a man like those are not the men that i grew up with in my family or in my neighborhood so he was kind of like a unicorn you know and he was like Hmm. this handsome jewish dude who like spoke italian like it was it was it was stupid and so i was totally enamored you know and i remember being like when i was 21 i was like that's the guy I'm going to marry. Like in my, you know what I mean? Like in my fantasy life. And then the more reasonable side of me was like, no, he's married. He's having, he's starting a family. Like you're just going to get your shit together and then find someone like him. And then I did the opposite for like the next, you know, 15 years or whatever. But the whole, and, and so when he came back, he came back to offer condolences about that. And I just went into this fantasy place with him and it turned into this thing. Um, for, like, a year. Nothing ever happened. Like, he was a perfect gentleman, but it was all very, like, intriguing and emotional, and I could not think about anything else except him. And I felt... If you had asked me point blank, I would have denied it, but I felt in my soul, I was like, if this man loved me, everything my parents have ever done or my mother ever said would be suddenly not true. He would be the answer... Do do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, he would solve that. Mm -hmm. And that is aside from being not true it's deeply unfair to this poor human dude who you <laughs> didn't know what shit he had just stepped into when he contacted me he had no idea and i tried to like tell him without be i was i was trying to be like this, you know like strong i'm good but i was a fucking like vulnerable mess on the floor when he contacted me and so and that old, those old feelings just came back and I was like, well, you know, I'm 38 now or 39, maybe, maybe now, you know, and it was, it was a weird... Did you
0: say that to him or you're just thinking this?
1: Well, at first I was just thinking it at, at first. I mean, he had said some things that were kind that sort of like I had to do a double take. I was like, wow, guys don't really talk to you like this unless there's something happening. And I, that was my first thought. And then my... And then my second thought was like there's no way like you're so fucking fat and ugly like nobody he would never you know what i mean it that happened and then the next voice was like well you never know i mean it's weirder things have happened maybe you know we get along really well we have a very simpatico so i didn't say anything for um like a while like we i just was like just talk to him and see what happens and then um you know so that that's how that kind of went down he actually mentioned that he had a girlfriend about a month later which i didn't know and like he was telling me the truth but like in a major delay mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's causing some problems and that on top of like bizarre synchronicity like like really trippy synchronicity um i started feeling like oh this is like meant to be or whatever that stuff you know and uh and then it finally came to an end um in march of last year and i was really fucking devastated for like a really long time and that's and i started working on the sex and love stuff and that's when i was like you know because i didn't want to i actually just didn't want to live i was getting into that place i had been in that place for about a year when i came to la i was like I felt so deeply ashamed for even having feelings of love for someone, for even having the audacity to want someone. Um, I was, you know, I was 300 pounds. I was, I didn't want to leave the house. I was like, you know, I was getting back into that place of like, there's no hope for you. And, And so then I started working on that stuff. And I made a decision to, to keep my focus on that and be like, all right, I gotta, I have to, I have to like solve this problem of this, the self hate thing. I have to solve that. It's going to kill me. Like, and I can't do the next 30 years with this. Like, you know, I'm not that I'm that, I'm that girl in the fucking upstairs room, like stomping around and singing to Aretha Franklin. I'm not this person who wants to kill themselves, you know? Um, so I, I, got into group therapy I went back to my old therapist ira I, I you know i uh i decided to get a gastric bypass which I did at the end of october um I've been reading like I said I've been meditating i've been doing the yoga i've been like I've been really fighting for this and I've lost like you know seventy five pounds I feel really good i feel really confident within myself I'm not blaming him like he didn't He didn't do this do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like and i and i really started to understand that idea of of like when you when you idolize someone when you put somebody on a pedestal you're not only dehumanizing yourself you're also dehumanizing that person
0: because you're reducing them to
1: an object of something they're not human anymore and i actually remember an interaction with him where I said, I said something like, you know, he really had a hard time taking compliments. And I was like, I feel like you're, I think you're amazing. And he's like, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm sometimes I suck. And I'm, I'm, he like listed all these things that were like terrible about him. And I said, so in other words, you're like human or whatever. And I was like, and I still maintain that. I think that's awesome. You know what I mean? And he, he was like, taken aback by that he was like that's a that was an amazing response and I was like well you know it's true you know what I mean and that's the thing it's like it's so bizarre it's like if you like even though the relationship is not it was not a good idea for so many reasons and even though there was so much like codependent like weird uh, like bad boundaries on my part his part like on ambiguity um all that stuff even though that's true If you just like push that aside there actually is love there you know it's not it's not not love you know um yeah i don't know if any of that makes sense i feel like i'm rambling but it does yeah
0: um give me uh an arc of the food stuff
1: yeah um
0: give me some some snapshots of one It, it was at its worst worst in terms of behavior sure
1: um i would have to say like it's it's weird because when i so i like i said again i was up to 95 pounds by the time i was five years old and uh and my mother was desperate for me to lose weight and so i had a i had a dietitian yeah so i was on diets my whole my whole childhood and my mother would be elated when i was thin and then furious and angry when i was not and that's when the verbal abuse would come at me and and um and then my dad would say things like you know if like i remember when i was a kid i was watching like madonna on the mtv music awards and he would be like don't you want to be like madonna and i'd be like why would you want me to be like madonna you fucking freak you know what i mean yeah. like anyway um so that was going on and i think by the time i was 18 Um, it's, it's weird when, when you're, I was 400 pounds, right? And, and so when you're that size, I was so disconnected from what that actually meant, like what that looked like. It was almost like the food, what I was eating was not even, I wasn't even conscious of it. I just knew that I was eating, like in my mind, I was like, I don't eat that much, but I was eating all the time. And, and I, it's just this weird, like fog you know, it's kind of like when you black out from drinking and you don't even remember how much you've, you, how much you drank, you know, it doesn't compute.
0: Do you relate to the people, the uh, sex abuse survivors who, who gain weight and talk about it being a protective suit because then people don't look at them in a sexual manner? Yeah,
1: I I do. And I think for me, it's sort of the way it sort of voices itself. Like I, like me being a bigger person makes me feel like I'm strong and like you can't fuck with me and it gives me that kind of like protective like but like aggressive <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what i mean
0: um by, by the way how did the the uh, abuse stop uh, from your well, dad well
1: when i was taken out of the house when i was put in foster oh, home and okay. then when i returned when i when i came back the the state said like i could go home if my father slept at night at my aunt's house down the street and for like i don't know how long it was it was months it was months and months so that's how it that's how I was able to go back able to go back home
0: was it talked about in your family after you went back home
1: uh it was talked about in family therapy which i can tell you was a fucking disaster like all my fa- like the state made my mother my father and my brother all get therapists and then like once every couple of weeks all like eight of us would be in a room together it was awful like it was just it was the most traumatic fucking shit. And I remember like, w- at one point my mother, um, she had me on a, on a family visit and she and my grandmother was sitting in the front seat and me and my brother were in the back seat of the car and my mother was like, she was fucking screaming at me at the top of her lungs like her throat was about to rip open. And she was like, you're a fucking liar. You're a fucking liar. He never did that to you. Like, like just wouldn't stop screaming at me to the point where I was like, I recanted because it was just so awful. And then the therapist didn't believe me. They were like, something happened. We're not sure what, but this is not right. And, um, but I did, I recanted. And then they let me go home
0: shortly after. How how do you feel about that, sharing that now?
1: Uh, well, it's, it, (sighs) well my heart is like it's like beating really fast but i uh,
0: because it, it's just bringing up all that that trauma or you're afraid of being judged or well
1: uh, no i'm not afraid i've to- I've told that story before to like therapists or whatever so it's it it is what it, it just is what happened and um i think what it really just points to is like terror of being confronted like like conflict of you know what i mean like it, it it for me it goes back to that thing of like i cannot be honest i cannot say what happened like because bad things are going to happen to me if i do you know what i mean
0: and plus it sounds like uh to speak up for yourself and your family meant if you knew that there was going to be a d- disagreement with your parents you would have to summon so much courage and energy to withstand the gale-force wind
1: no, yeah, of a...
0: shame and judgment.
1: Yeah, I mean, shame and judgment, and that's like the benign end. I mean, really, like, there were, like... I mean, I used to watch my uncles and aunts get into, like, knockdown, drag-out fist fights, Like, just it, violence. Like, that's... It was at that point, you know what I mean? So, yeah, they would say stuff, or they'd be mean or whatever, but that was almost like... I could handle that it's the it was the other stuff where you really didn't know if you were gonna get slapped like and just attacked like physically attacked
0: give me uh, a snapshot or two of the physical
1: um, um, well I mentioned that ideas. that thing about the bowling pin when yes my, yeah um, I remember like when I was a little kid my brother and I were on in the master bedroom and I don't know why, but my father like came running into the room with his belt and he started fucking like slapping us with it. And we were screaming like, why did you like, why are you doing this? And he thought that we had made a noise, but we didn't. And he like didn't even he didn't apologize or whatever. He just like left and went back down to his room to go to sleep. It was, like, stuff like that, you know what I mean? It sounds like
0: an easy house to relax in.
1: It was really very relaxing. It's like going to Maui.
0: (laughs) It sounds like a chase lounge with a roof.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and maybe a little bit of coke and horse. Like, like, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, um, yeah, things like that.
0: What were the foster homes like?
1: Uh, The first one was, like, being on Mars. They were vegetarians to begin with, and I didn't understand what that meant. (laughs) It just was, like... You know, I came mm-hmm. from like Italian family and these mm-hmm. people are eating fucking vegetarian food. I just didn't kinda... When do
0: you, When do you slaughter the pig? Yeah,
1: I was like, where's the pig? <laughs> exactly. Um, they, but, and they were nice. I couldn't remember much. They, I wasn't with them long because they had to go on, they were going on vacation to New Hampshire and they couldn't take me out of state line. So I had to get, I was moved. Mm-hmm. I was moved to another foster home that, um, was okay, but the foster mother was a bit crazy. And I remember, like, I'd been there for a while. I was there for a while. And I remember it was problematic because my mother would, like, she'd call the house and pretend to be someone else, like a social worker or something. And then she would, like, get me on the phone and, like, berate me. And, like, she'd kind of circle around the house. Like, she'd drive there and stuff. And, um... So I remember, like, with the foster parents, I... I think I said to the father that I loved him and I like gave him a hug and it wasn't anything. It was like in the kitchen. It wasn't anything crazy at all. And the wife got upset and was like, she needs to leave. Even though I didn't do anything wrong. It was like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and that's when I was put into, a place called Judge Baker it was a fucking it was a psychiatric ward with 14 anorexics and me like the compulsive overeater or whatever it was like it was a little bit stupid um i was there for a while and then i went to Westwood Lodge i was there for a couple of months and then i ended up going into this um my mother really wanted me to go to an all girls catholic school um so i went to one this was like 8th grade And or the beginning of eighth grade and I had told another girl in my class what had happened to me for the past like fucking year and a half or whatever and she told her parents and her parents told the principal of the school and then they kicked me out of the school and yeah so then I ended up going back to my original elementary school and finished out the eighth grade there
0: how you are alive it's a miracle my
1: therapist says the same shit to me every
0: time i talk it is a miracle yeah. the every time you opened your heart as a kid it was just stepped on with golf shoes
1: well I, <laughs> this is my theory about that and this is something i actually want to research more and like think more deeply about and maybe even write about someday like you know all of our systems like you know the military the The churches doesn't not necessarily even Catholic like you know mm-hmm. all of those reli- like religions, um, the fucking universities, um, the police they all have the same trajectory which is to protect those that abuse power, and squash the victims mm-hmm. and blame the victims and ass- character assassinate them, in any way or deny and hide and shuffle these accusations. And the reason why I feel like those systems do that is because we as individuals do that to people. Like, it's been done to me on a number of levels by my parents, by my church, by my school, by the justice system. And so it it, it comes from that fear and like not wanting to face, you know, someone else's trauma, you know, like...
0: And and especially when you're a trauma victim, and almost every person I know who who has experienced sexual trauma has a battle going on within themselves about whether or not they're making too big of a deal of it. Totally. So to have put yourself in a position where somebody is antagonistic towards you Mm -hmm. is going to voice that, and there might even be others watching, Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine, I cannot imagine, how terrifying that has to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. And and the thing is, like, I never, you know, I didn't press charges against my dad. Like, I never, I couldn't do it, you know. And if you ask me, like, oh, well, you have the opportunity now, I would say, no, I still can't do it. You know what I mean? It's weird, you know.
0: I get it. I totally get it. You
1: know, Alice Miller in that book, she talks about, like, if you if you don't, Basically, if you don't want your parents to be punished for what they've done, you haven't fully um, empathized with yourself of what's been done to you. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, you know what I mean? But it's given me some, some things to think about, you know? Um,
0: yeah, there's a power that the uh, abuser has over um, the victim or survivor that is – otherworldly yeah it's it it's it doesn't make sense intellectually
1: no it doesn't of course and it's because it's not an intellectual thing it's completely about your body mm-hmm. right and like and especially with the sex stuff I mean when you're a kid that's when all that stuff is developing and, and that's when you actually you get to be trained on how to have autonomy and how to like look for things and have like a sense of intuition and it's being You know, not to like, it's being fucked with, like on a real level, like on many levels, you know, and you don't really get to, you never get that back. You never get that process back. You know, you have to kind of do it retroactively. Uh,
0: I I had a unique experience and that I, my mom found out that she was accused through the podcast. Oh, Because I could never summon the courage to confront her. Oh yeah, I know. A because I felt that she would deny it, or she would justify it, or that there would not be any satisfaction there, and I didn't want to put myself through it. Even though one therapist had said, you know, I I think you should go do it. Other therapist said, um, there is no right or wrong. It's Mm -hmm. it's what it's what you want, Mm -hmm. Um, and. But ultimately, uh, we did an episode here where I was interviewed and I listed all the things because I, w- I wanted to have one episode where listeners who didn't know my story would be able to hear it. Right. And so then um, I got a letter from her and it was clear that she had heard me listing the things that, that she had done. Right. And, um, and I was glad that that information got to her, that that she knew that I remembered
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but I didn't have to face her and I don't know if that's a cop out on my part or not but um I felt uh, I felt relief that um she knew that I remembered but I didn't have to look her in, yeah. in the eyes cuz the the thought of doing that uh
1: it, no it's terrifying and I totally feel it like what you're saying I feel you and and,
0: and I can't say why
1: well, well I I don't know either all I can tell you is that the one time there's two times with my with my mother um one was at my cousin's wedding in my 20s after like I think some shortly after college or maybe in college she tried to tell me that I had made a mistake that it wasn't my father who molested me it was my cousin and she had the pictures to prove it is what she said and I said, where are the fucking pictures? And she was like, I, you don't need to see them. I was like, until you show me the pictures, I'm sticking to my story. I've not, it's 20 years later, I still have not seen these pictures. I mean, it's complete bullshit. But she, she was like, well, and then she said to me, she was like, well, what do you want me to do, divorce your father? I'm like, you do what you need to do to take care of yourself, but don't ask me to rewrite history to please you or to make you feel better. She's never brought it up again. But it, what it took for me to say that in like a sober, non-screaming fucking way was like, I can't even describe,
0: I, I don't know where that were came from. Were you shaking? I was sh-
1: shaking. It's like, you know, when you As get an, that- almost
0: making me shake. No, like- it
1: was crazy. And you know, when you get that battery taste in your mouth, yeah. like that, it was that. And I was, it was like volcanic, you know? Um, and I remember one other time, it wasn't involving me. It was my dad. They were in a fight and she called him a rapist. And I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, in my mind, I was like, you fucking know. Like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, yeah. Like, I, it, it, it,
0: it. Who, who do you, uh, this is probably a stupid question because mm. it's not a contest. I don't really believe in but, stupid uh, but, questions. But. But, but I'm curious as to who you have stronger negative feelings towards, your dad or your mom.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, hmm. You know it's funny, I heard somebody in a group recently say that her father had taken liberties is how she put it and uh and that she so he was a patriot yeah right <laughs> he was a, he must have been a tea party um uh he so that and then her mother like never protected her and then like insisted that she never knew. And she said that now she has this great relationship with her mother and she, you know, and then she was like, and I had to think to myself, like, you know, how shitty it must have been for her to live in that situation. And I was hearing her speaking. I was like, my fucking head was like exploding with rage. Um, I was like, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Um, so I think for me, like, I feel like I'm more angry with my mother and I don't know if that's like just a misdirect but i am angry because like she's not a dumb lady my mother's fucking smart you know um she kind of like downplays it in a way um she's she's really smart but she also has like a very healthy um well exercised capacity for denial like it's astonishing and and so that makes me mad like i when i feel like i don't know if she's actually doing the best she can or if she's just coasting by on the minimum like you know when people say like everyone's doing the best they can with what they have like sometimes i'm like you know what that's actually not fucking true like most people like coast by on the minimum like they they love people
0: do what they can get away with that's
1: exactly right it's like like whatever whatever's comfortable whatever's convenient that's cool but anything that requires like strenuous like painful something you know we don't want to do it and I'm I'm like that too obviously you know um so I get mad at her for that and and I get mad that she didn't like protect us when we said like this happened you know um and then on top of it to just like pummel me with like you know literally but also like with this thing of like you're a piece of shit you know like that um that really that fucked me like for a really long time and kind of you know and it still does i mean i'm still dealing with the effects of that but like but the thing the thing that's also true is like she she did that i continued the tradition you know what i mean like i I don't call anyone else a fat piece of shit, but like for myself, the way mm-hmm. I talk to myself is atrocious, or it used to be. I think it's actually gotten a lot better. Um, so yeah, with my dad, I kind of feel like I have this sort of like contempt and pity, which is, I don't know, like, like I get it, yeah, like I totally I, get you it, know, and I like it's hard because not that like. It, I don't want to. I, I I hope this is not like coming acro- across as like classist or whatever. But I just feel like he he had no tools. He literally had no tools, and I I think my mom didn't either. Um, but they also didn't look for them. You know, they also just were like, we don't need them. We're good. You know, um, I don't know where that self assuredness came from. It's totally unwarranted. <laughs> but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, that's how I. F- that's kind of where I'm at with them now. I, I think about their death a lot. Um, I actually started on this like end of life doula training because I've been at the deathbed of four people in the last twelve years, not by on purpose, but it just sort of like happened that way.
0: Just through bad directions,
1: <laughs> pretty much. Actually, probably good directions. There, there, there were like a few times where, like one in particular, where my friend's mother was sick and and she she had cancer, and I. Um, She was asking for me and I went there and everyone was saying she has three weeks to live. And I was like, she doesn't. And I called my friend and I was like, get on a plane and come here um, because I don't think she's going to make it for the week, you know, and he, he showed up the next day and then she died eight hours later. Mm. Um, So things like that. And so I want to figure out what that's about. In any case, I, I, think about like my parents dying and how um how that's all gonna go i mean i'm in control of none of it Mm -hmm. but i dread i hope to god they never get that fucking pang of guilt or whatever and is like they say something like if I've ever done anything to hurt you, I'm sorry. Like that sentence to me should be stricken from the English language. It's disgusting. You know what I mean? Like why? I, because the phrase if I've ever done it's like fuck you. You either did or you didn't. Like there is no if. You did this. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. don't hedge your apology. Like fucking stand up and say I did this. I don't know why I did it. I can't explain myself, but I know I did it and I know it hurt you. I'm sorry. That is all that's enough, you know? Um, but this thing of, if I've ever, it's like, you don't really want to admit what you did, you know? And so I try to like, and I'm not perfect. I'm not, I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I, when I make amends to people, I try, I mean, I have to like, you know, say like, this is what I did and I think that this is how it must have affected you and how can I change my behavior? I'm going to change my behavior going forward and how, how else can I make this right with you? You know, like that's the way to actually make amends to people on a personal level, on a political level. I mean, that applies top to bottom. It applies, you know? Um, so anyway, that's a long tangent, but yeah, I, I fear that moment with my parents and I, I don't really know. If I have the fucking capacity to be like, "I forgive you, mm-hmm. I don't know if I have that.
0: do you feel like um the sexual abuse that you experienced has affected your sexuality, and if so, how
1: uh, um it's um it's definitely tied into the food thing I mean my body like I've lost a hundred pounds like four or five times at this point, so my body looks not great in a lot of ways you know like sagging skin and that sort of thing so i you know this terror that men will or a man will look at my body and not want me anymore is um pretty deep um it's caused me to be behave erratically in in the sense of like i can go like years without sex i don't like it but (laughs) i'll do it you know what i mean because i also walk around just believing like in a very solid complete way that men don't look at me sexually at all that i I don't even occur to them as a sexual person um or someone that they might like you know um so that's one side of it it's like very anorectic it's the only thing that's anorectic about me because it certainly doesn't show up with the fucking food but um (laughs) (laughs) i'm like a 16-ounce steak, like, (laughs) three-martini bitch. Like, I can throw down, like, nobody's business. Anyway, so that's one extreme. And then the other extreme is, like, you know, um, like, uh, you know, like, getting involved with, you know, men who want to do things like threesomes, or they want to go to a sex party, or they want to do, you know, like, that stuff. And I don't want to do it. I'm afraid of that. Um,
0: But you want to keep them.
1: But I want to keep them. And so I'll do it. To, like, make them happy.
0: And what are you thinking and feeling as you're doing
1: that? Um, I I feel nothing. I feel actually quite detached. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever done Special K, but it's kind of like that. Like, when you get high... you your head is, like, floating, like, four feet above your head. Like, the rest of your body, That sounds you know? terrible. It's it's not pleasant. <laughs> but yeah. when you're, like, when you like drugs, you just want to feel other than yeah. how you're feeling in, in normal, in your normal state. So that, you know, it it's, like, weird. Like, you tell yourself, like, oh, it's a life experience. You're experiencing something. You're pushing this boundary to see if this is what you like, you know? And that's true, but it's also true that... I didn't have a normal sexual upbringing and I didn't get to choose anything. So this is not really probably the best thing for me to do.
0: <laughs> and, and you're going into it because you don't, you don't want, want to lose somebody. I don't want to lose somebody. Which is yet. a terrible reason to go into it. If horrible. you're like, oh, I think I might be bisexual or, you know, I fantasized about this, but it it makes me nervous, the thought of doing it. That, I think, would be a different, yeah, a different mean, but, thing. and that
1: has something to do with it, too. Like, I have found myself attracted to women. Um, I can look at them and be like, my god, they're beautiful, you know? I've never wanted to get into an emotionally intimate sexual relationship with one, but I've you know, so there is that there, too. It's complicated. Like, there's, there's lots of stuff at play, but really the ultimate thing was this guy wants this and I want the attention. And so I'll do it. And I'll not really sit with myself and ask myself, is this mm-hmm. actually what I want? Because what I actually want is, I want someone to love me, I want to be in a relationship. Now, I should mention, like, there's a guy actually right now who's around, who is, um, I mean, it's he's available. And it's a little complicated, but I've been like, pretty honest about it with my support system and, and sort of like keeping myself like accountable, but he's like, it's, it's baffling to me. He's really attentive. He's very like complimentary. He like, he's on it. He's like locking it down. And he just, like, I feel completely comfortable with him. I can, I feel like I can ask him anything. I'm, I'm not censoring myself. I'm not, um, I feel like em- empowered to say like we should wait to do this, you know, and let's like, like build let's build our bond without sex first. Like let's do yeah. that a little bit more, you know. And he's on board with it, and like you know. And so he, what's the problem? There is no problem. Oh, okay. There's no problem. I just. And well, then it, you better create one. No, I know. I, otherwise, I, you're
0: not paying attention. I don't know where I am. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, he. um I, well, at I, I, first I was like, this must be wrong because it's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or this must be wrong because it's happening really quickly and it's not exactly the way I thought it was going to go. Like, I thought I was going to get, like, I was going to go on like six dates with one hour each and it's once a week and it's not really happening that way. He's like getting a divorce, but he's like, the marriage has been over for two years. He has two kids. He travels. Mm-hmm. He's a writer. It's all, it's like, a, it's messy, but he is, in in process with it and as i said i was you know i've been talking about it but i really i really like him and he really likes me and i've known him for eight years and we suddenly were like oh you know Mm. and um i mean he you know he calls me today and like says stuff like you're gorgeous you know what i mean like like and it's uncomfortable it makes me want to be like please stop blushing right yeah i'm uh, (laughs) like you have to stop talking you know what i mean (laughs) um So yeah, you know, but I think like that, that's why I'm like, I don't know if the abuse and like the, like the violence, I don't know if that's something that you necessarily have to walk with for the rest of your life. I mean, you do in the sense of like, that is your, your history. That's where you come from. But I don't know that it necessarily impacts your ability to have sex in a healthy, joyous, free way. Ultimately, it just, it, it requires, I think, four or five times more work than it would for a mm-hmm. normal person. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sorry. Should, should no, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I remember, like, this is actually tied together a little bit. Like, we, like, I was talking to a woman about, how I was angry with my parents. We had talked about that earlier, right? And I was like, I'm really fucking mad, you know, the money, whatever, and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And and she was like, you know, it must be so difficult to carry around that resentment against your parents. And I got fucking pissed. I was like, fuck you. Like, you don't know what it requires to just get, Go out the door in the morning, you know what I mean? like if you did not grow up in a house where you were terrorized and you didn't know what you were walking into at the end of the day when you're coming home from school and all of these like horrible things, if you didn't grow up with that, you don't get it you just
0: you don't it. understand how unsafe the world feels
1: yeah, it feels completely unsafe, and people everyone feels like an attacker at some point I mean it's not true, but that's the perception yeah. you know so um what was I what was my point? Um so the so that there was that conversation and then fuck, I lost my train of thought. What was the thing you had said to me before that?
0: Uh how it's affected um your sexuality. Um then the, you were talking about this guy and right. how you have trouble accepting the compliment. Yeah. Um,
1: and then so then the
0: uh, And then you're getting it. mad you were getting mad at this um woman who said
1: um. Yeah, it's gone. I I I remember I was like I was pissed off about that, and then, damn it, I forget. It's gone.
0: Well, anyway, uh, you know, I think a, a good segue uh, because you know, from from the stuff you've shared, mm-hmm. um, in our meetings. And a lot of us talk about it, about how we use fantasy to escape and Mm -hmm. not necessarily sexual fantasy, Mm -hmm. just creating, totally putting somebody on a pedestal in our mind or having a fantasy about our career or a terrible negative fantasy about leaving the house. Totally. Talk about your relationship with fantasy and how um, you've become more aware of it and maybe how you're learning to manage it and recognize it. Sure, sure. Sure. I, you know,
1: it's funny. I I very distinctly remember in my house, my bed was in front of two windows that looked out on the street. And I remember being like, I would fantasize about what my life in New York was going to be like. And I was going to meet these amazing people. And I was going to travel the world. And I was going to do all this stuff. And like, I was going to be like, I was going to be somebody. And I don't think that's, <laughs> has that isn't all come true, but I did meet amazing people. I did travel all over the world. Um, I've been to like, I think I've lost count, but it's something like 20 countries. I've been like mm-hmm. all over the world. Um, I have been writing. I've, I've met beautiful people, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'm like, I'm really like a billionaire when it comes to my friends. Um, so in one way, the fantasy is like, it's almost like a, a real powerful pep talk. Like, this is what you're going to do. doesn't matter what's happening right now. You're going to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And it like gave me something to really focus on and like, kind of like, it's like a lifeline through pulling you through the fucking detritus. You know what I mean? On the other hand, there's, um, the pitfall of fantasy for me is like grandeur, like delusions of grandeur, um. You know, I can spend time fantasizing that I'm a certain kind of way when I'm absolutely not. Like, I'm this, like, I can fantasize that I'm like this beautiful, like, you know, like totally enthralling person. And meanwhile, then I go eat a ton of shit and like put on weight. You know what I mean? Not, mm-hmm. not that overweight people are not beautiful, but it's like I'm not doing anything to like take care of myself. I'm actually like hiding myself, you know? Um, another thing I would do with fantasy is like, I think a lot of people do this too and my mother does this like in the car when people are in the car like she's kind of shameless about her fantasy um like uh, when you have those sort of like vent revenge fantasies and like, you're like in front of someone saying everything you couldn't say to them, like in real life, yes. like you're having fights with people who are not in the
0: room. Oh, I that love shit. that. That's oh. what the car is yeah, for. No,
1: that's the crack, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is what the car yes, is If for. you
0: looked over me, uh, uh, <laughs> this is mostly before I got sober, but if you were at a light and you looked over, you would see me screaming at nobody <laughs> pounding on the steering wheel. Yeah. Screaming.
1: The bathroom is my place to do that. Yeah. 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 The bathroom mirror. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like, if you really want to know who you are, like, stand in front of the mirror and do that shit. You see the fucking black ugliness that's coming out of your soul. (laughs) So, yeah, that's like, I mean, that's kind of like, those are the features of fantasy for me. I mean, aside from like sex or whatever. Mm. And then... Like with the case of, um, with this guy, the, not the guy that I'm seeing right now, but the emotional affair guy, um, that was like, I mean, I spent my entire day in fantasy all day long. I couldn't think about anything else. I would like parse out like everything that was said or not said or what did it mean and I'd flip it around in my head a million times and, and then sometimes I'd fantasize about sex with him or, or like what what he would think? I mean, I just I, I, every possible dimension angle. Would you, I went there. Would
0: you go into grandiosity about what your relationship is going to be like with him in the future? Yes,
1: totally. To oh give yeah. Give me give me some. Oh like well of that. I was gonna like I would finally be that like ultra successful New York lady with the like very handsome successful dude, and we would like money would never be a problem. We would travel everywhere, and I'd be like his very interesting wife or something like that. Like, who's like, you know, w- way too, like, not way too, like 15 years younger than him. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, th- <laughs> ridiculous. It, ridiculous, you know? Um, but I spent like the better part of a year obsessed with that. And uh, and it would, and it had the effect, like, I actually heard a woman um, say this uh, n- a couple of weeks ago where she was like, you know, fantasy... Has a physiological effect on you.
0: Absolutely, it's a
1: drug. It, it produces—I don't know what it produces—but it produces these chemicals that your body craves. You know. And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I'm, I'm like my own CVS pharmacy in
0: a way. <laughs> just, you know. I, I, I say that all the time. Yeah, that it's it's. I've never really the pharmacy is open 24 hours. It
1: totally is, and I've never really thought about it like that. It did, it she, she said it in such a succinct way that I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's true." And because and I re- because all I remember during this time is that the, the surge, it was like the surge and like my brain would get flooded and I couldn't even hear what was being said in the room, you know? I just remember the sensation of it, not really and and knowing that that was like not good, you know? Mm. Um so, yeah, that's the, the those like the, that's the span of it, I think.
0: Give me um a snippet of what recovery looks like today for you and ways in that you've moved towards self-care mm-hmm, healing mm-hmm. Sure. what that looks like in terms of your day right. or how you think of yourself.
1: I mean, do you want me to get like real specific like what I read and shit, you know? You know,
0: I I love specificity. Okay. So, all
1: right. Um so I wake up and if if I'm like optimal mode, all right, so I'll meditate for 20 minutes and then um feed my dogs and then I read a bunch of literature <laughs> and pray and then I write a letter to God and I put it in a box every morning. And I'll say actually I write like this uh prayer to like really like to for good things to like right now i'm writing a, a a resentment prayer for my mother so it's like you know god i ask that you give my mother everything i would ask for myself bless her with you know um health prosperity and happiness um amen like short you know mm-hmm. and then do that for 2 weeks and then i write whatever i want to to it you know like please give me a fucking job and, like, please help me not be a hypocrite or whatever the thing is, you know. So I do that. And then um, I will – I have, you know, these recovery buddies that I'll, like, e- email, like, what I did the day before. So the day before, I'll write, like, what I ate, when I ate it, if I exercised, um, did I experience any resentment, fear, dishonesty, or selfishness, mm-hmm. and I just sort of, like – I resent X for doing blah. I was dishonest in this way. I was selfish because I was late or whatever. Then, uh, then questions like, you know, are, you know, were you kind, kind and loving towards everyone? Yes or no. No, I was not loving to my roommate because she did this or whatever. Um, then, you know, is there anything that should be discussed with someone at once? Yes or no. And then I explain what that is. Um, do I owe anyone an apology? um, you know, was I in the stream of life or was I thinking about myself? And when I, I, the way that I interpret that is being in the stream of life means like, were you of service to other people? Were you taking contrary actions? Were you like, what were you doing to like take care of yourself? You know, when you're thinking of yourself, the way I interpret that is like, you know, that's sort of like the piece of shit at the center of universe thinking, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So like, I like if I was like worried about money or if I was like comparing, you know, myself to this person or if I had like um, whatever uh, self-hating, you know, mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and then I
0: self-obsession as opposed to self-reflection.
1: Totally. And then um, and then I finally and then I list like 10 things that I'm grateful for. Now, when I first started doing this, I couldn't name three. I had a real problem with that f- like uh, like 12 years ago. And now I can easily do 10. Um, <laughs> so I do that and then I work, I like deal with my emails. I try to, I write, you know, and then I go to, um, Bikram at one o'clock every day. Um, That's the hot yoga, that right? Is the, yeah. It's yoga in 105 degrees and for like an hour. And then. That I do the abbreviated class. Can you
0: give me <laughs> um, directions so that I can be sure that I never even accidentally go there? Just
1: stay away from Glendale Boulevard. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I do that, and then um, and then I come back home, and I deal with my dogs, and I deal with more emails and work stuff, and then I usually end up going to like either therapy, a support group, or um, I take a writing class pretty consistently—nonfiction, narrative writing. Um, I do that. I see my friends. I make time for their kids. And now I get this guy now. So we're we're doing stuff.
0: That's a full-ass it's life. A,
1: it's a fucking full life. And then I travel. I travel like mm. once a month to go work. Um, you know, I my life is really good, actually. I mean, you know, there are problems. Like the money is a problem. Sometimes my head is a fucking problem. Like I get negative. I... I feel like every like pe- everything's going to work out for everyone else except mm-hmm. me. I'm going to be the one in the rearview mirror sort of, like, crying and waving. <laughs> um, <laughs> but aside from that, like, I have, like, really good relationships with people. I laugh a lot, um, you know, like, I make people laugh. I, I have my career, even though I don't have a job right now, my career is really good. My representation is really good. I can be myself. I can be honest, you know, like, things are, like... I really I really can I I have the life I wanted when I was 8 in the fucking window. You know what I mean? I really do. Um
0: Well, that's a, a yeah. beautiful moment I think to go into our fears and our loves. Yeah, yeah. I okay. wrote them down. Great. <laughs> you give want me, me to say Yeah, give me some fears. If I think of any, I'll uh, I'll jump in with them.
1: Okay. Um and then there's two things I want to tell you because I I was reading them today and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Alright, so my fears is uh, that I'll have an I'll never have a normal sized body, um, that I'm on an Icarus trajectory, you know, like that I might have like <laughs> success, but ultimately I'm destined to live in a van down by the river, you know? Um I'm, I fear that I'll never understand what love really is. Um, you know, like I'm too damaged for it or in real intimacy. Um, I fear that I'll never be able to give up my longing and addiction for comfort and convenience um I fear my hypocrisy and fraudulence, and I fear being able to be fully self sufficient and like a grown ass adult um and then I wrote some more. I was like I fear dancing in public, I fear being in bathing suits and shorts in public. I fear the ocean swimming in it. I never yeah. used to that's a recent. Somehow, recently, I'm afraid of the ocean, and um, I fear the death of my close friends, and I fear seeing that guy that I have that I had that emotional affair with. I, I fear seeing him again, even though I want to, but I fear it. Um, should I continue with right? the love or uh, yeah, let's oh, do some loves? Okay. Um the love I do love the Pacific Ocean and going to Neptune's net and then like going to the ocean and watching the sunset like that's my favorite thing to do pretty
0: uh, much. I love the feeling when you get out of uh like dressy clothes which are almost never comfortable never. and you get into slippers and pajamas. Perfect. I just love that 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 feeling. transition it's yeah. beautiful
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that same with taking off high heels mm-hmm. um I love that surge of like love and longing and desire and vulnerability that you have for someone before anything ever happens that first moment where you're like I want this person you know
0: mm-hmm. i love that moment when you decide to take the plunge and share something intimate vulnerable and kind of um scary mm-hmm. to reveal about yourself and the other person says me too mhm i love that totally i love that
1: yeah um I love watching my friends' kids learn language and, like, they start to understand relationships. Like, they start to know who you are and how you're different from their mother or dad. And their love for me and their, like, utter trust. I had mentioned that before. Um, the arches in southern Utah, have you ever been there? I've seen pictures. I mean, so I went to the arches and I climbed up to the delicate arch and just, like, sat there for, like, ten minutes in this, like whipping sand and wind and like it was just like awesome it was like being on Mars you know and I read about the uh, I read about that land and it's like I can't remember the exact numbers I wrote them down but it's like I mean like hundreds of millions of years old this place and the way that these rocks are shaped are from like millions of years of wind salt and like water those little things carved these wow. giant fucking rocks you know what i mean wow. it used to be an ocean that was an ocean utah was a fucking ocean that went away <laughs> Do you know wow. what i mean so it's like yeah. the just like the eternity of it and like the how small we are it was and, like perfect and
0: how gradual
1: how gradual it is and and how gorgeous it is you know and and like it's like a constant state of like decay and creation and it was a really, like, it was a mm. wonderful way to sort of be with his, you know, memory when that happened. Um, so, yeah, I have a special place in my heart for mm. Southern Utah.
0: Give me another one.
1: Um, oh, I was in, so I went on this trip for, um, uh, to 10 countries researching um women's empowerment issues so like human trafficking and sex slavery and gender violence and all this stuff and this was like in 2011 and there was one i was in thailand and um and we had been doing this it was the focus was on sex um sex trafficking and sex slavery and they had taken me to Pattaya, where that city is built on the sex industry and pedophilia basically and the, there was this born again Christian guy named Rodney, who's from the states. He had beautiful blue eyes, the older guy, and he was his. He runs like a shoestring NGO with this Thai woman named Pimpa, who also is a born again Christian. And the two of them basically like rescue kids from like being abandoned or being sold mm-hmm. into whatever. And they took they took me on a drive. This was like. I don't know, three and a half hours outside of Bangkok in his pickup truck. And I was sitting in the back of this pickup truck that had no walls on it. And we were like driving through these endless like rice patties. And he brought me to this dragon fruit farm. And he had me like eat dragon fruit. I couldn't speak... I mean, I don't speak mm-hmm. Thai, obviously. And then and then they brought me to this, this wooded area where Pimpha's father was a Buddhist who lived in the woods. And he just like... That's what he fucking did. He just lived in the woods. And he would like clear paths in the woods until they until he came to a tree and then he would stop the path there like so he had like a tent with these paths that led to nowhere and like it was just this bizarre beautiful like day that i had in the countryside of thailand and just
0: are you sure you weren't watching lord of the rings
1: i'm definitely (laughs) sure
0: It sounds I like something like it was out of that. It that
1: it was bizarre. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was just like yeah. I just felt so alive, you know, yeah. in that moment of just being in the back of this Fucking ruddy truck, you
0: know. Uh, I love the feeling on the inside of uh, my legs when I'm on my recliner, and Ivy, who's the bigger of our two dogs, uh, curls up inside my legs, <laughs> and uh, it's like an ottoman I have that I put my legs up, and uh, and it's just she just fits perfectly, and then she rests her chin on my shin bone. That's beautiful, and uh, I just love it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. My my dog, the dog one that I love is uh, my two dogs, Athena and Luigi. Louis, he, um, pretty much every night they sleep, like one does a circle and sort of sleeps by my head and the other one sort of stretches out on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wake up in like a puppy panini, like every day, (laughs) it's pretty awesome. And like, and they did it, like they started doing it like right after I broke up with my ex and he moved, like he left and they just started sleeping with me like that for like the next year and a half. They were like That's, you're going to be okay. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it. bad. I love
1: it.
0: <laughs> well, Andrea, thank you so much for uh for coming and sharing your life with us and um thank you. Thank you for being um you know, one of my favorite people in our and uh, our support group.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So great talking to her how some people survive their childhoods and adolescence or even <laughs> it's shit that happens to them in adulthood. Uh just amazes me hey before i forget uh a couple of things i want to uh share with you one there is a website that i uh heard great things about from a friend of mine and it's called intherooms.com and it's all kinds of online meetings some are 12-step some are non-12-step a variety of topics and it's really great for people who live in the boonies um, I think they, I'm not. I don't know if they do it over Skype or what exactly. Some of them you can participate in. Some you can just listen to. But it's uh, intherooms.com. dot com. So I'd be interested to see if uh, other people like that as well. Want to remind you guys, um, L A Podfest is coming up in September, and I'm going to be a part of it. It's September 23rd through the 25th at the L A uh, uh, Sofitel Hotel here in Los Angeles, a huge lineup of incredible podcasts. And you can come see it live, um, get a weekend pass and see all the shows, or you can get a um, streaming pass and you can watch any show you want um, for up to, I believe it's 30 days after the event. And you can can even watch it live. So go to lapodfest.com and you get five bucks off if you use the offer code HAPPY and i get some money if you do that too so that would be uh that would be very cool again it's lapodfest.com and use the offer code happy um want to give some love to uh to this week's sponsor uh blue apron it as i shared the last time uh i talked about uh blue apron i kept hearing from friends um, we're doing blue apron oh don't you love blue apron And so I was very excited when they decided to advertise on the show because I wanted to try it. And um, Blue Apron, basically for less than $10 a meal, uh, Blue Apron uh, delivers you uh, seasonal recipes uh, with pre-portioned ingredients to make amazing home-cooked meals. Um, Just this last week, I did their—I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it's a Zatar—it's Middle Eastern—a Zatar— uh, chicken burger and oven fries with the feta lapne, uh spread, garlic chips, and a lemon mint cucumber relish. In a million years, I would have never endeavored to do something like that on my own. They send you all the ingredients you need. They send you a... a uh, page that has all the directions for make it and color pictures. Because I don't know about you, but I love seeing what something is going to look like before I before I make it. Um, you can adjust uh, the menu to suit your tastes. You can adjust the delivery schedule. I could go on and on about it, but it is... Uh, I just love it. I just love it. I, I bit into that burger and my wife is sitting uh, across from me at the table and I said to her, "This is fucking amazing, and um, you should try it." So check out this week's men, uh, menu, and you get your first three meals free with free shipping, just by going to blueapron.com/mental. That's blueapro dot com slash mental. M-e-n-t-a-l. Uh, I think you'll I think you'll dig it. I certainly certainly do. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Um, Let's get to some surveys. This is a struggle in a sentence survey. Oh, I almost forgot. If you feel so inclined to support the show financially or non-financially, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can support us financially by going to the website, mentalpod.com, and making a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, becoming a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month, and it means... The world to me god bless those of you that are monthly donors um it or or one-time donors uh it's i wouldn't be able to do it if if you didn't chip in and we always need a bigger budget so it would um it would be great if you could do that you can also help us non-financially go to itunes write something nice about us give us a good rating spread the word about the podcast through social media um If you're going to buy something at Amazon, go through the uh, link we have on our homepage and Amazon will give us uh, some money for that. It doesn't cost you anything. So there's a bunch of ways if you want to uh, give back. And if you don't, you know what? Put your thumb in your ass and blow smoke out your... your... (laughs) I couldn't even get it out. Blow smoke out your nose. I was going to say blow smoke out your ass, but your thumb's there. That was not very well thought out. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself E is for elephant. And she writes about her anxiety, realizing that I'm actually feeling pretty okay for once and immediately racking my brain to try to figure out what worries I should be feeling instead. I think a lot of us are shaking our head going, yeah. Yeah, it's weird when you've had internal chaos your whole life when there's peace. It's like an eerie silence. You're like, oh, oh, Jason's at camp now. (laughs) I'm in the tent and, you know, the crickets are chirping, but that means uh, about her love addiction. I wish that you felt the same way about me that I feel about you, or I wish that I felt the same way about you that you feel about me. If I had a choice of you loving me or me not loving you, I'm not sure which I'd pick. That is, that is great. Uh, snapshot from her life, staring at this survey form uh, for ages, thinking, Jesus, Paul is going to think you're a fucking moron. Why don't you save this for people who have real problems? Those things that you described are real problems. Any comments to make the podcast better? All dog buttholes all the time. We are are trying to improve our um, dog butthole to survey ratio, but um, Herbert is not being very compliant this is filled out by aurora and she uh, snapshot from her life she writes i'm a nurse with bipolar one uh anxiety disorders etc very rough upbringing nobody hears my cries for help because they feel any treatment would take away from my accomplishments Psych docs just profusely tell me how, quote, bright I am. And since I am a nurse, I should be able to know when and how to access appropriate care. As much as I want to be treated as an equal with no stigma, I just want somebody to tell me it's okay to be sick too. Well, it's okay to be sick too. You know, who helps the helpers? And... um. Yeah, put down, put down the. Uh, I don't know. There's got to be some fucking metaphor. Put down the shield. Uh, I don't know. But um, that that moved me. That survey moved me. Every one of these surveys. I've never read a survey that 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 doesn't move me. And I read so many surveys that do move me that I don't even have time to to read on the uh, on the air. This is an awfulsome moment uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself best film of the year. And he writes, my biological father abandoned me at birth. I had never met him, but as an adult, I tracked him down on Facebook. I saw he had a daughter listed and thought, cool, I have a sister. Then I looked deeper and realized that the, quote, daughter was, in fact, a parrot, an actual parrot, and that the parrot was exactly my age. I was abandoned as a child and replaced with a parrot. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, Alfred. He is straight in his 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but he's been emotionally abused. He writes, I grew up in an incredibly emotionally abusive household. My father was an alcoholic. Uh as a child and I dreaded I think he meant himself as a child and as a child uh, and I dreaded every moment his truck would pull up the driveway every single day he never hit either of us although he often threatened physical violence my mother did everything she could to protect me from this but his emotional abuse was thrown at her too every day was a series of him coming home to find the smallest thing to get angry about and would proceed to yell at the top of his lungs I often remember waking up on weekends and pretending to sleep in. The fact of the matter is, I did that to shorten whatever time I had with him. Eventually, as his alcoholism grew worse, he would barge into my room and yell at me for sleeping in, saying, no son of mine is going to sleep all day, get off your ass and do yard work. And even then, whatever task he gave me was never good enough. This, in turn, yielded more yelling and him telling me how to do it right. I vividly remember one day where my dad was supposed to take my friend and I to the local water park. Instead, it turned into him barely driving five minutes before getting into a small fender bender. He smelled like copious amounts of vodka, as he often did, and proceeded to tell me to shut up, and I repeatedly asked what was wrong. After agreeing to meet with the other person in a nearby parking lot, he drove back home instead, told us to go upstairs, and then tripped and passed out on a chair uh in our front yard my father did eventually get clean for 10 years actually however that streak changed upon his relapse a year and a half ago it tears me up inside his 10 years of sobriety did wonders for me going from hating him to being the greatest role model in my life now that he's relapsed it's brought back a flood of emotions from my childhood that i've long since bookmarked so to speak and set aside in my mind I love my father to death and I don't know how to approach him. My mother is talking about divorce and I feel like the eight-year-old child inside of me that was too afraid to say anything then. One of my greatest fears is that he's going to do something in his newfound relapse that's going to end up with him dying from it. If that happens, I worry that I'll blame myself for my current inaction. Just writing these last two sentences makes me tear up and feel like the biggest piece of shit on the planet. Alfred, I can't tell you how... just how uh, how deeply your survey resonated with me. You described my relationship with my dad, except my dad replaced outwardly abusive with neglectful. Um, and my dad get, did get sober uh, for 10 years, and then he relapsed um, not too long before he, he died from cancer. Um, and reading... You describe your relationship with him and your anxiety about him. Um, I think you can really benefit from going to uh, a program uh, for the loved ones of alcoholics. There's uh, a couple of different ones, and they work wonders because you can't do anything. You can't change your dad. You can't. You're powerless over his alcoholism. But what you're not powerless over is getting help for yourself to deal with your anxiety and worry and guilt. And those things are real. And for a child that grows up in an alcoholic household, those things can become our alcohol. Worrying about other people's feelings, wanted it, wanting to make everything right. Looking around the room saying, is everybody happy? Okay, now I can relax. That is every bit as destructive um, as somebody with alcoholism. You might think that that's an exaggeration, but but it's not. Um, and you'll get to connect with other people who share your story, and there's nothing like that. There is nothing like that. Uh, any positive experience uh, with the abuser? I suppose I pseudo answered this question at the later part of my previous response. Like I said, my dad did eventually clean his act up and become sober for 10 years, he became much more present in my life and I went from despising the man to telling him on his 60th birthday that he's the greatest man I know. He taught me so many valuable life lessons that I feel is lost upon today's developing youth. He's bent over backwards to make up for the pain he caused my mother and I. Now that he's relapsed, it's jumbled my thoughts and emotions. My father is an amazing man, just not when he drinks. And that that is the nature of addiction, is there is a beautiful person even inside the most fucked up addict but it gets masked by the addiction and then that beautiful person gets hidden away and masked by the ugliness and the darkness of of addiction so um it's it's complicated and that's why support group would be would be great but anyway um it just really moved me it just really moved me so thank you for Thank you for sharing that. Um, darkest thoughts. I often think about how much of a piece of shit I am. If any of my friends or family were to know this, they'd be shocked. I've done a good job of putting on a mask for most of my life. I've excelled in almost all facets of my life, garnering multiple awards from school and places of employment and volunteering. If they knew that that what... L- looks to be a man who had his life together and someone who's incredibly successful actually self-deprecates on an almost daily basis I think they'd be surprised and I'm ashamed of that I almost feel obligated to keep this going because I'm afraid of letting them down I don't know how much longer I can keep this facade going I'm finding myself crippled by fear and anxiety more and more as months go by to the point where I'm feeling stagnating where I feel I'm stagnating Herbert's in the room, ladies and gentlemen. All in all, I have a problem with loving myself and hate to admit it. Dude, this is all textbook child of an alcoholic. It is so textbook. And that's the good news. It means hundreds of thousands of people have gained their sanity back by connecting to other people who have some recovery around these issues. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I cheated during my first serious relationship. It's torn me up more than I think I realize. Talking about it is still difficult, especially because she's the one I let slip away with my selfish action sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I often fantasize about rough sex. Nothing that involves serious roughness, but enough to where it's prominent. It's kind of hard to explain, but sharing this makes me feel indifferent. I've never really been ashamed of my sexual fantasies. Different strokes for different folks. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm sorry for bringing back your trust in men only to absolutely and positively shit on that at the end of our relationship i can only imagine the pain i must have put you through it'd be more than that but it's all i can really think of at this moment in time even if her response is to fuck off and die i'd prefer that than the lack of closure i've had for almost three years What if anything do you wish for? I wish for the day that I finally look in the mirror and be proud of the person I see. I'm tired of constantly hating myself, but I can't seem to snap out of this nightmare that often feels like I'd never wake up from. Again, this is, you are custom, custom made for a support group around these issues. have you shared these things with others? I've only shared elements of me cheating with other people, although I've watered down how much it's truly affected me. Everything else I haven't shared, mostly because I don't want to suddenly drop years upon years of shit that I've allowed to build up and burden anybody else. Isn't that interesting? How one person would call it being vulnerable and connecting to a friend and, and a codependent will say, burdening somebody. How do you feel after writing these things down? I definitely feel better than I did before starting the survey. I have a counseling appointment next week. It's only my third session, but after this, I think I may just share all of this with my counselor. It's getting too exhausting to continue carrying all of this weight on my shoulders. I need to be open and honest with my counselor if I'm going to get the most out of this. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts and experiences? Nothing but a hug and a shit ton of love. Oh, dude, giving you a hug and a shit ton of love right back at you and um, this is this is like a classic codependent bottom that you are experiencing and just know you are so far from being alone with it this is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself too stupid to come up with a solid name I'm a fan of his already and um He writes, so I deal with the swings of depression, good months, really rough months, and no real means of why or how or when it will happen. I should probably get some help with that. Anyway, I also work as an EMT in a particularly ruddy city. Regardless of how the city is, the people are amazing. The other day, while sitting outside of the station vaping and enjoying a Netflix movie on my phone, I see this young girl walking with her, quote, father. Uh I hope he was her father. He was guiding her along with this stuffed duck that seemed to have had many years of comfort and grime on it. I imagine this is her favorite stuffed toy. Anyway, I make eye contact with them both and say hello. The little girl lets go of the duck and walks over to me. She holds out an old cassette head cleaner cassette cassette tape and states, Look at what I just found. I look at it for a second and say how awesome that is. She smiles. She then produces two flowers and says that she picked these for me. I decide to take one and say that she should keep the other. The smile on this little girl's face was so big. So she says, have a good day, and walks back to her father. Grabs the duck, and they walk on. It it seems to be the small gestures in life that make it worth living. I am so happy that I am able to share in people's lives and make them feel better even when I feel like complete shit some days, beautiful. you know that that is just that's that's the foundation of there's three surveys um, that I, I included tonight that are seemingly small on the surface. But as I was putting the surveys together for tonight, I realized these are like the hallmarks of building a better life for ourselves, And that that's the first one. Um, I'll let you know when I read the other ones. Uh, and I'll try not to get you off guard. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by just another egocentric, uh, and they are non-binary. And they write, when I was going through a bout of mania after quitting Depakote, Abilify, and Lorazepam, cold turkey, I went into an artistic frenzy. I would work obsessively on small pieces of art and made a lot of stuff. I could not stop producing. During these times I was working on art, I was not actually present. I would leave my body in what I felt was an astral body. I would see myself rotating around our planet but in the opposite direction of everything else. I would spin faster and faster until I would feel my brain pop out of the back of my skull from the force. Then I continued to turn into fire and ash. Uh, Then I would come out of this state and be in my earthbound body, looking in front of me, and I would have completed works I had no memory of making. Still wish I had that mania to bring me back to how productive I was. And yes, I know, that's not healthy. (laughs) Dude, I get it. I've never experienced pure mania. I've experienced um, hypomania and deaf leopards pyromania. But hypomania is, uh, it's addicting. It is addicting. Thank God I don't have any, uh, I don't have the ability to trigger hypomania. Pinned Butterfly writes about her anxiety. Finding the choice between going to the bathroom and going to sleep so difficult, I just sit in bed picking the skin off my face until I bleed so I have something else to focus on besides the discomfort in my bladder. About her compulsive skin picking. Sobbing as I pick the skin on my face, chest, and shoulders because I'm thinking about how ugly I will look tomorrow, then picking some more to stop myself from sobbing. Um, uh, other struggle. Group rape porn fetish. Sometimes I think I force myself to watch it just so I have evidence if someone asks me why I think I'm a horrible person. Um, snapshot from her life. I decide to talk honestly about how depressed, confused, frustrated, and hopeless I feel for the first time in years when my dad asks me what's wrong, then immediately regretting it when he cuts me off and tells me I just need to try harder. I think I speak for all of this when I say, fuck your dad, and I hope you never go to him for um, anything emotionally again, because that is fucked up and you deserve better and who wouldn't be filled with anxiety if that is one of their parents there is nothing inherently wrong with you you are you were just raised in an environment where there was no safety nurturing you weren't seen you weren't felt who wouldn't who wouldn't be engaging in some type of compulsive behavior sending you some love This is a struggle in the sentence filled out by Charlie. And um, Charlie writes about having borderline personality disorder. It feels like having a closet full of costumes. And if you take one off, uh, if you take one off me, there's nothing underneath. Snapshot from uh, it says uh, that Charlie is a non binary woman. So I'm assuming the pronoun is she. I'm not sure were they? I'm not sure. I'm just going to say she. Uh, When my ex-girlfriend left me, I was forced to confront all these parts of me that I hadn't known were there. They were scary and led me to act in ways that were toxic and that I'm now ashamed of. I lashed out. I said things I didn't mean. I spit on everyone, including myself. That was almost two years ago, and I've stayed single the entire time, trying to put myself back together and develop healthy habits for the future. That is that is so awesome i could add this to the uh to the other three as a as a you know just those incremental steps of what a better life working our way towards a better life because i think a lot of people think that um uh becoming emotionally healthy is going to be like this magic thing that happens uh you know abruptly and is seismic and suddenly incredibly clear but it's not it's gradual it's um it's like going to the gym and before you know it, all of a sudden you're like oh my god i can i can see a, a muscle here and if it, charlie if you're not aware of i'm sure you are um but there's um a thing called dialectical behavior therapy um which is supposed to be great for people with borderline personality disorder i'm sure you're probably doing it already This is an awful-some moment filled out by DJ, who is uh, non-binary. And DJ writes, My mother is a hoarder of moderate severity, and no door in our house closes. I just recently realized this is the perfect metaphor for my mother's complete lack of boundaries. That is beautifully awesome. Beautifully awful. This is... This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Doodler. She's pansexual in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, She was uh, the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, It happened to her uh, many times, starting when she was eight um, up through uh, adulthood. Um... Ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, Between the ages of 13 and 17, my dad was both physically and emotionally abusive. He had an extremely short temper, and I was stubborn, uh, and he would beat me whenever I stood my ground in an argument. He would scream at me, If your own dad can't love you, can't stand to be around you, you'll never have anyone that will. Clearly, that affected my first relationship with a man who played on that insecurity. It's amazing how abusers just have that sixth sense. For somebody that they can control or abuse any positive experiences my dad and i have a great relationship now he had a terrible motorbike accident a few years ago and suffered with ptsd during cbt therapy for this they helped him with issues he had with me we had a long talk and after i moved out at 18 we started to get on forcing him to realize he can't control my life helped him to let go of the anger a little further anger management training helped too my only worry now is that I am so similar to him. I have that same temper. I don't have kids, uh, but I want them. I'm terrified I'll be like him. And p- please do, do the kind of work that your dad did uh, before you have kids. Because if anything, having kids is just going to intensify that anger if, if you don't know, work on it. Darkest thoughts, uh, suicide, incest, rape, sexual fantasies darkest secrets attempted suicide uh when my brother and i were eight and nine we would play quote married couple there was never penetration we didn't know what sex really was but my mom caught us and the shame i feel when i remember makes me sick please let go of that shame you were a child you were a child and so many kids experiment um with other children on themselves with objects with animals um don't judge yourself. Let that go. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Rape fantasies. I've never shared it with anyone else, but here, but here it feels fine. I understand why I want it. I want to bring my sexual abuse out of a painful, dark place and have it in my control. Boy, you, you summed it up perfectly. Perfectly. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my boyfriend of four years, I'm scared I'm settling because deep down, I still don't feel like I'm worth anything. I'm worried I've tricked myself into loving you and I'll marry you and one day realize my love was a lie. Then please, extra please, get help before you um, settle down with him and have children. What, if anything, do you wish for? money not for a huge house or designer clothes but for peace i've never had money really and i just want to be able to breathe and have freedom to sit in a little studio and paint that's so sweet i actually don't dream of peace i dream of designer clothes you would think that that the guy that does this podcast isn't that way but i actually picture myself um surrounded by people in utter poverty and them telling me which pants look best on me. Have you shared these things with others? Uh, Some, and they were generally supportive. How do you feel after writing these things down? Lighter. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Nothing is the end of the world. Having depression or anxiety doesn't make you weak. The fact you're still here makes you one of the strongest people there is. High five. High fucking five to doodler doodler sounds like it should have been an american pie the name doodler this is a happy moment from Pooh rooster just horse racing and these surveys i am amazed how the fuck you haven't run out of names yet Pooh rooster uh his happy moment today i went to the pet store to grab some stuff for my sick dog I bullshat, and he puts in parentheses, past tense of bullshit, with the employees for a little bit and cracked a few jokes. After one joke, one employee, who happened to be ridiculously beautiful, told me, I like you. Yeah, I like you. Normally, my response would be to make some self-deprecating joke, you only like me because you don't know me. Instead, this time, I took the compliment. For once, someone said something nice about me, and I didn't instantly minimize what they said. I guess that means I'm making progress. That was the other survey I was telling you about. That's what recovery looks like is sitting in the discomfort and not going into the old learned behavior that gets us nowhere any comments to make the podcast better paul you need to wear a bandana and aviator sunglasses whilst whilst recording the podcast trust me you'll be glad you did i can see why you made those people laugh you're a funny motherfucker uh rose teacup shares an awful moment and this one's kind of heavy but god it's so um it's i'm not just gonna read it um Two years ago on a Thursday afternoon in Vegas, I was 26 and I had barely slept in months. As I walked into the ICU, the blue light was flashing over the door to her room. Nurses and other staff were running up and down the hall and everything really did move in slow motion. I think some of them asked me if I was family and I'm sure I said yes. I don't remember if I was running or walking calmly, but I remember there were so many people in a rush that I could only approach the door with the blinking light and lean against the door jamb for support. Inside the room was about a dozen nurses surrounding my mother, taking turns performing the most horrifying CPR I've ever seen in my life. My mother was heavy-set even after spending months in the hospital wasting away. Her belly was so swollen then that she was bigger than she had ever been, as round as a beach ball. Her body was convulsing in rhythm from the effort of the compressions, and the nurses were lined up and taking turns because their arms would get tired the doctor was standing next to me as I was watching, crying, frozen. He told me they couldn't get her stabilized. He told me that they had broken too many ribs. Her brain was denied oxygen for too long. She didn't have a DNR, which stands for do not resuscitate. Her heart was failing and they needed me to tell them that it was okay to stop trying to save her. The nurses were exhausted. I had to tell them to let my mother die. But... Her birthday was a few days prior, and all the decorations were still up in the intensive care unit. They asked me what my wishes were, and I laughed. Through the tears, the first sound I actually remember choking out was laughter. The doctor didn't know how to react. Everything in that moment was so contradicting. Her bloated and shaking body among purple streamers, the balloons surrounding her bed in numbers matching the staff attending her, the flashing code blue lights bouncing off of the metallic happy birthday signs. It was horrifying, it was hilarious, and it was so fucking surreal that I pulled the plug on my mother in a hospital room that resembled the leftovers from a party at Chuck E. Cheese. I will never be able to look at birthday balloons the same ever again. That was like a poem. That was like a poem. Wow. I'm going to remember that the rest of my life. That that is um that is like the pain and the laughter of life at at its apex right there. I mean I, that's a hall of fame one that is a hall of fame one not necessarily funny because it I don't think any of us are like oh my god that's hilarious but um, that it was hilarious to you because it had to be in that moment that it had to be that there's no other way you could react seeing that stuff thank you so much for that uh, plain Jane fat ass, <laughs> in parentheses, guilty of swallowing Jenny Craig hole, uh, writes about her PTSD. Here's some sensory input. Sure. You don't remember what's connected to it that would thrust you into a panic, but your body sure does about having emetophobia, which is the fear of throwing up, driving myself to illness over the fear of getting ill. Snapshot from her life. Looking at old photos of myself from prom and recalling how proud my mother was of me for being the tannest, thinnest, bustiest girl of the group and then remembering the latest photo I'd looked over with her and how she'd lamented over how enormous my arms have gotten and then gone on to compliment my cousin on how thin she is. She's looking great now that she's back down to those single-digit jean sizes. If only I'd taken after her example. No, it's... That is not the way to go. That is not the way to recovery. That is not the way to recovery. God, I I just can't believe the shit that people say to each other sometimes. This is filled out by uh, Manic Manda, and um, she struggles with bipolar, and she's a sex crime victim. And snapshot from her life, she writes, Do you ever feel like you need an adult? I feel like that lately. My boss slash friend said last night that my problems were made up rich white girl problems and that I needed to grow the fuck up and be an adult for my children. Not exactly the best thing to tell a suicidal person. And that's really all I, I wanted to address in this because it, pissed me off so much that somebody would say that don't ever conflate monetary privilege with emotional privilege those are two different universes and that's it that's just all i wanted to say and you need better friends or at least friends who you can open up to about emotional thing things um but do not listen to a person as ignorant as that person is because your feelings are valid. You're a sex crime victim. You have bipolar. Those are huge loads of things to live with. That really made me angry. I'm going to need your friend's phone number. Actually, you know what? Get him skates and I'm going to knock him off his feet and then not have a good witty thing to say until two days later. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Carla. She is uh, straight but bi-curious, never acted on it. She's in her 40s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional house. Uh, She was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, I was molested by three babysitters, two girls and one boy. I was also the victim of date rape. I'm pretty sure the boy who was six years older than me had me stroke his penis when I was around nine years old. Uh, I can picture... The red bed spread on the couch in the living room. The two girls, sisters, would play spaceship with me in my bunk bed, and we would touch each other. Later, when I got suspended from school at age 12, my mom asked the boy to stay home with me and fooled around. After that, we snuck around for months, stealing kisses and touches in the same house with my parents. It was very exciting, but then he started doing the same with my best friend, and I was jealous. The date rape occurred when I was 13. I was a virgin and didn't want to, quote, cheat on my boyfriend, but I was at a party drinking champagne, and a really cute older boy was paying attention to me. I was getting into kissing and touching him, but then someone came into the bedroom and we had to leave. He led me into the bathroom, and we continued. I was laying on the floor, and he was fingering me, But when I realized he was trying to enter me, I said, no, please don't, I can't, I'm a virgin. He assured me he was only going to put it in a little way and I'd still be a virgin. My boyfriend would never know. But he put it in the whole way and I told him to stop, but he kept going. I laid there and cried. Then he stood up, removed the condom, and flushed it down the toilet. He winked and let himself out, leaving me to wipe the tears and the blood away and deal with the reality of having my first on a disgusting bathroom floor, and having, quote, cheated on my boyfriend. I'm so sorry that you had to experience all of these things. And, well, I'm just going to read more of your survey, but... uh, She writes that she's never been physically abused. Uh, She writes, My father was hysterical when I was 12 to 13 years old. He couldn't handle... He couldn't handle me and forbid me from seeing and talking to boys when he, found, when he found out I was dating a 17-year-old. He ripped the phone out of the wall and threw it across the room. He took my record player and threw it in the back of his pickup. My mom hid things from him, like when I got pregnant and had an abortion the day before my 14th birthday. Later, when I was in high school, he would threaten to have my car registration and insurance revoked if I didn't do what he wanted. In college, I rented a car to drive to Canada with my boyfriend, and he threatened to stop paying for my college if I went. My mother constantly complained about my father to me and my brother, often about how he drank and wasn't responsible about paying bills, how everyone thought he was terrific because they didn't know the real him. Later, after he died, my mom got rid of all his stuff and spoke badly about him. Then she started dating and would tell me about her sex life, despite me telling her I didn't want to hear it. She definitely has some boundary issues. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Sure, I loved my father. He could be a very nice man. He cooked all of the holiday meals and made breakfast on weekends. He cried the day he dropped me off at college. And I love my mother even though she is dark and completely self-absorbed lately. She's 75. I know she will always be there for me as long as she's alive and that she truly loves me. It's amazing how complex our relationships with Not only people but parents can be Uh, darkest thoughts i think about having sex with women and double penetration by two men i think about all of the men i've had sex with and wonder if i uh quote date raped them even my husband i assumed men wanted sex and was intent on seducing them and making them fuck me darkest secrets i enjoyed the sexual the childhood sexual abuse with two female babysitters and a male babysitter when I was 13 or so, I let a dog lick my cunt slash clit slash pussy. And then a parentheses, she puts, there is no word that I feel comfortable using. Uh, maybe clussy. I think we got we to gotta dub that. Eat my clussy. I also had a threesome with my aunt's boyfriend's daughter and a neighborhood boy. We were both kissing and touching him in a bed, almost competing over him. I tried cocaine a few times and smoked crack once when I was in my 20s. I'd love to do cocaine again but probably never will. I let my boyfriend perform anal sex on me when I was 13. It hurt and I couldn't help but wonder if someone had done it to him. He'd been in a juvenile lockup. I was pregnant and had an abortion the day before my 14th birthday. I never told my boyfriend because he was locked up and I was with someone else. We're Facebook friends today and I think I still love him. I think about him a lot and look back at his and his family's pages wondering how he is and wanting to talk to him and tell him the truth. But I won't. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, Lesbian sex. Uh, Stepmother seduces adult daughter's boyfriend and they have a threesome. Double penetration. Uh, I don't share these with my husband. I mentioned the lesbian thing once because it sounded like my husband had that fantasy but that was 20 plus years ago. What if anything, would' you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my ex-boyfriend that I was pregnant with his child and I had an abortion. I'm not in contact with him anymore, except on Facebook. I'm afraid he would hate me. What if anything, do you wish for? I wish that my 13year-old daughter I wish that my 13-year-old daughter never gets raped or molested. I pray she never has. I wish that she will have healthy relationships with satisfying consensual sex and real intimacy. I want her to be happy and healthy. Um I have shared some of these things with others. When I told my friend I had been uh date raped in junior high, uh she told others and they accused me of being a liar. When I told my husband these things when we were first getting to know each other, he was understanding and kind, but we don't talk about it anymore. If you want to talk about it with him, bring it up. It, because he sounds like he's somebody that you can talk to and I think it could bring you closer together. Um Anything that is involves vulnerability and um, trust and then having that trust um, positively received can't help but make a relationship better. Plus, he would want to know what's going on with you. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel anxious, but it feels good to share my stories. I envision you sharing them on the podcast and sending me a big hug that makes me smile. No, no hug for you. Uh, In fact, I I cast you to hell. No, I'm sending you you a big, warm hug. Anything you'd like to share uh, with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'm so sorry that happened to you. I feel your pain. Let's help each other overcome and be strong. It wasn't your fault. You were just a kid. Well put. Well put. That one really moved me. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. This is an awful moment filled out by Wacka Don't, and she writes: A decade or so ago, when I lived in the city, I thought, I thought of the older couple next door as an adopted aunt and uncle, until she told me conversationally that he thought of me as he masturbated. That year, I learned how to build a fence. why would she think that that was a compliment to share that with you <laughs> oh he does i'm so flattered i'm so flattered he whacks off to me uh this is a beautiful email i hope that this doesn't come across as self-serving but you know when people thank me for doing the podcast um I always say I get as much out of it as anybody else does. And it's emails like this next one that I'm uh, gonna read that literally make my day and This is from CG, and she's 15, and she writes, Hey Paul, I just wanted to let you know that since I found this podcast a few weeks ago, I've been completely unable to stop listening during any free time I have. It has helped me to do an incredible amount of self-reflection during a time when I very much needed it. It has further educated me on mental illness and validated so many things about myself that I no longer classify as weird." Although I'm only 15 years old, I have gone through a lot of drastically different situations and changes during my short lifetime and have finally reached a point of stability where I can sit down with myself and your podcast and process everything that I'm feeling. Things no longer seem so impossible or so incredibly terrible in comparison to a lot of the stories on the pod. Thanks. Uh, to hearing all of this. I have realized that, yes, I can absolutely do this on my own, that I am capable of growing, and that I have an incredible amount of time to learn about myself and the world around me. Just thank you for this. Hold on one second. Um, this is the podcast I always needed, even though I didn't know it. It makes me more interested and going into the mental health field um and also inspires me to become the musician I so terribly want to be because why the fuck not? Paul does what he does for a living and combats his demons every day, so why can't I? Sending you lots of love and my eternal gratefulness. Sorry if this sounded too self-helpy. That wasn't self-helpy at all. I wrote her back and thanked her and asked her if I could read it um on the, on the podcast. And that, I mean, how how do you not love your life when you get the kind of emails that, that I get um, when somebody has a breakthrough they heard a guest say something in fact I, I'm hoping she hears this episode because I mean Andrea's story the shit that we can survive is amazing oh <sighs> Let's see, awfulsome awful some moment this is from from uh mother of parakeets and this is um i wanted to read this in conjunction with the survey uh, after it because i feel like it's very apropos to read them in this order let me read the first one She writes, In January, my mother finally left my abusive controlling father and my father started calling all of us kids to find out where she went. He didn't know I had helped her rent a house or that I planned to move in in April, but he was convinced we were the reason she left him and not his behavior. He left a voicemail on my phone because I had stopped answering his phone calls. On his message, he was saying that God would punish me for breaking up his marriage. I know in my dad's mind that God punishing me translated into me getting sick or being attacked or in an accident of some kind, and while it hurts at the same time, it is very validating that I have proof of my father's hurtful behavior. I can say to anyone who tries to minimize his behavior, here, listen to him curse at me and tell me God's going to hurt me, then tell me how I should just give him a second chance. What's even sadder is it would probably be my mom that I say this to thank God that you can, that you're cutting contact with your dad. And um, that would be a great boundary to, to set with your mom is is to say that is off the table. Your opinions about me having a relationship with dad. Um, and then I want to read this next one because it's kind of similar. Um, but, Anyway, here it is. This is a happy moment and it's filled out by I thought I'd be perfect by now. And she writes, this is more of a moment of small triumph than happy. Even though I'm an adult, my mom can still sometimes rant at me like I'm about 10. Usually I sit there and take it occasionally i've argued back and that never goes well it just escalates things the last time it happened i was just about to leave her house when the conversation we were having turned from lighthearted and kind of humorous to her being really pissed off and lecturing me about something ridiculous i felt my stomach get nervous and my heart started to race just like it has my whole life i considered my options for the first time ever i simply said well i'm gonna go I opened the door, turned and smiled, said bye, and left her standing there, arms crossed, scowling at me. I was scared. What would her reaction be? She might never talk to me again. She might yell at me. She might be super passive-aggressive. I saw her a day or two later, and you know what? Everything was fine. She didn't mention it. I didn't mention it. She was not passive-aggressive. She seemed the way she always is when things are good, and she has never brought up the subject that she was lecturing me about which is what I wanted. I feel like I was finally successful in setting a boundary that actually stuck. It has taken me a long time to learn how to do this, but now I feel like I have more power in the relationship. That is one of my favorite surveys I've read in the five years of doing this podcast. That is what recovery looks like. This is one of the small building blocks of a better life. Oh, I want to frame that. I want to frame that. And then this is kind of bittersweet, uh, this thing I'm going to I'm gonna end on. <clears throat> but it's also, uh, it's, it's um, just read it. <laughs> How many times do I do that? I'm so afraid that you're going to criticize why I read something, the order I read something in, that, oh, it is exhausting being a people pleaser. But you know what they say when you stop pleasing people? People aren't pleased. This is from Janelle, and she writes, You always talk in the podcast about how much you love to see families loving each other, and as someone who has had a horribly dysfunctional family, I always feel especially proud when I can offer support to my kids in a way that I never had. I thought I would share this heartbreaking moment with you. This evening after work, my six-year-old son was in a real mood. He was being sassy and moody, crying more easily than normal. So just before bedtime, he and his little sister were playing in the kiddie pool in the yard and I went inside to grab their vitamins uh, before I forgot. When I came to give it to him, he had a complete meltdown and started yelling at me about how he wanted to do it himself, that he didn't want help from anyone ever. At first, I was a little mad at the sassiness, but then I asked, Hey, is there something else bothering you? I was trying to help, and this doesn't seem like a big enough deal to be this mad about. His eyes welled up with tears, and he said, Are you sure you want to know? I assured him that I did, and that it would make him feel better to talk about what was bothering him. My mama heart broke as my little boy collapsed in sobs, telling me through a choked voice about seven kids at summer camp all throwing rocks at him, while still three others hurled sticks, to have him run away, and yet still others chase him with long sticks to poke him. Then he told then he told them over and over that he didn't like it. Please stop. That he told his teacher, and the teacher said, It's fine. If you don't want to play, you can sit on the bench. He sobbed and said, I don't know how many kids are in that summer camp, but it felt like all of them were hurting me. He's six. He said they tell him they hate him. He sobbed harder still and said, I think I should just play alone now. And he sobbed and sobbed. I held him and listened and told him it's not his fault and that I will do everything in my power to help him fix this problem. My heart feels so hurt for this little one. He's so full of life and sweetness and courage. He collapsed into my chest and told me he loved me and just held there for a while, sobbing these big sobs. I let him sit there as long as he needed and just kept telling him that I loved him and that I would talk to teachers to make it right and if it wasn't that I would find him a safe place to be. After he got done crying, he asked if he could wear one of my shirts and lay in my bed and snuggle me until he fell asleep. Of course I said he could. While my heart aches that he had to do, he had to experience this, it brings great comfort to know that he is getting something I never did someone to notice, someone to listen, and someone to fight for him. I'm hoping these are the moments as a parent that we have a chance to make a difference in our kids. Thank you for what you do, Janelle. just i wish i think a lot of us wish that we had a mom like you janelle and i bet if you're listening right now you're thinking oh god i'm not as good of a mom as you think i am but that just moved me to tears and I'm dead inside. So that's quite an accomplishment. Some great surveys tonight, some great emails. I just feel like the luckiest guy. Just the luckiest guy. Thank you so much for all that you guys give to this podcast, pouring your hearts out, being monthly donors, spreading the News of the podcast. The news of the podcast. Oh, oh. I'm about to do DJ voice, but I. This is too sacred a, a moment for for DJ voice. Sacred. Oh, oh. Fucking hate that word. I feel like I should be in Sedona holding a crystal. Oh, Might as well follow up with something about Mother Earth. Anyway, I hope. You guys heard something tonight that entertained you, helped you, comforted you, um, turned a light bulb on uh, in your head or just distracted you at the very least. And just um, don't ever be afraid to ask for help. And if the first person you ask for help, it doesn't work, just keep asking because you, before you know it, you will be connected to somebody that will help you. And... Before you know it, you'll be learning tools and then you'll be helping somebody else and the fourth dimension in life will reveal itself, which is that intangible, that that when our spirit comes alive and we realize that this isn't just about us, that we're all connected. Oh, I'm really feeling... Mm-hmm. <laughs> New agey you know. But I'm speaking from my heart. DJ Voice, why are you so mean to me? I'm not I'm not gonna let him talk. Anyway, I hope you know you're not alone and um I'm so glad that I that I get to experience all the stuff that you guys share with me. Some of it's really fucking hard to hear. And some of it is so fucking beautiful that I, that I don't have words for it. So I'm just gonna wrap this fucking thing up because now I'm starting to get on my nerves. Now I'm on the side of DJ Voice. You know what, DJ Voice and I are gonna go out for a drink. Just remember you're not alone.